Hey folks, it's Cody Stoffer with Playmakers Corner, here to tell you about Code Red Coaching. Competing in athletics means you've lifted the weights, you've watched film, and you've got the passion. Problem is, that's what everyone else in the state has done. Perfect your game by honing in on your mental performance with Code Red Coaching. Whether you are a team or an individual, Code Red Coaching has the tools to create mentally solid habits and set up you or your team for success. Find Code Red Coaching at coderedcoaching.com or call 720-979-1914 to learn more today. That's coderedcoaching.com or 720-979-1914 today. Now back to the show. What's good, y'all? Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. I'm your host for today, Simon Villanos, a.k.a. Coach V. No, it's been a couple weeks, but I'm back here. Had to take care of some business. And here's what we got. We got your 2022 Colorado High School Football Week 12 Playoff Recap Round 2 for most of Colorado high school football round one for 3A football here though and we're going to talk about all the games here uh, recap all the playoff games talk about predictions playmakers of the week of course brought to you by code red coaching and all of that great stuff here and so let's go ahead and get started we're gonna start on the 1a level here on the 1a level it's the quarterfinals we got four games here uh, and I went to one of them and so I'm gonna save that one for last but let's go ahead and talk about some of these other games that took place on saturday that is november 12th and let's start with centauri versus strasburg centauri i believe had to go to strasburg here and strasburg wins big 37 to 0 a lot of us thought this might be a closer game centauri obviously is your defending state champions on top of that you know they've gotten better as the season went on despite losing a key piece in devin brady but you know strasburg just came out and they shut down centauri beating them 37 to 0 the defense for strasburg playing excellent playoff football here in this shutout and then on offense you see zach marrero he exploded on only 23 carries had 263 rushing yards five rushing touchdowns you already know that is playmaker of the week worthy at least as a candidate as he was really all strasburg needed to go ahead and power through centauri uh, by the way, Thomas Devlin, 17 carries, 100 yards. Landon Martin and Austin Velasco also had a good connection going to uh, very efficient in the passing game, moving it when they needed. But like I said, Strasburg, they just come out and they hit Centauri in the face and move on to the next round of the playoffs. If they win in the next round, they go to state. Simple as that so there you go moving on though we got monta vista versus lyman this was another game we thought might potentially be closer but definitely an uphill battle for monta vista who had to travel to lyman here and uh, i got to actually watch a bit of this game i watched the first half of this game but man this lyman team is very physical and aggressive up front here uh they shut down this monta vista offense for the most part here and then this offensive line just dominated up and down the field here uh the final score of this game would actually end up being 50 to 20 but lyman would go up by way more at halftime i believe they're up by like 28 or so at least going into halftime and so it was not really a close game from the beginning. I mean, uh, like I 
said Lyman won 50-20. to 20. The 20 points that Monta Vista scored, I know one of them was in the first half. One of those touchdowns was in the first half, but the rest must have been in the second half where I did have to tune out because this game was just really far gone here. Like I said, Lyman up front was just dominating on offense. I mean, they were clearing very big holes. And then on defense, they were controlling the line of scrimmage and then... And honestly, a lot of credit to their linebackers and Keon Bandy, who I believe was their lead tackler, uh, Logan Botier, Gabe Schubarth, all those guys, because they were flying to the ball with the wide open lanes. Their defensive line was opening for them. And so Lyman uh, continues their reign of terror and moves on to the next round of the playoffs here. Uh, some stats I want to read out here. Logan Botier, only nine carries, but went for 143 rushing yards, three rushing touchdowns. He is looking to be the guy up next after your current reigning MVP Gabe Schubarth uh, graduates because he is a senior this year and speaking of Gabe Schubarth uh, Schubarth he ran for 78 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns in this game as the lineman just absolutely dominates the trenches in this one and makes a big statement win here to be honest with you moving on to the next round of the playoffs uh, to play the winner of Yuma versus Colorado Springs Christian which like I said I was at and we'll recap at the end. Now let's go ahead and talk about Ray versus Wiggins. This was another game that I got to watch a, a lot of. I had six screens up. You know, I had a whole setup up uh, so that I could keep tabs on a lot of games. And that Ray versus Wiggins and Monta Vista versus Lyman game were both games that I watched a lot of. But this Ray versus Wiggins one kind of just kept an eye on. Uh, to start this game, Wiggins actually came out really hot here and uh, jumped out to either a 20-6 to lead or a 21-6 to lead. Either way, they were up by two scores and they were dominating. Cole Kerr could not go wrong. Um, there was a series of plays here um or i guess a series of drives where cole kerr ripped off a long rushing touchdown and then on uh, the next drive he threw a long rushing touchdown and this ray defense was just struggling to get it together and like i said it looked like it was pretty much over at one point but then ray you know they put together a solid drive here would go ahead and score a rushing touchdown you know uh keeping it one drive at a time and you know i'm not even gonna lie i had to kind of tune out for a little bit but i kept an eye on it and you know wiggins i mean i they were in a very controlling spot in this game they're up by two scores for at least three-fourths of this game i would say uh, so there you go there and it wasn't really until ray began you know building on this comeback here especially in the third quarter cutting into this lead and whatnot slowing down this wiggins offense finally which took them a minute but they did it but slowly and surely ray would keep clawing at wiggins trying to get into striking distance here trying to make it a one score game until in the fourth quarter they finally made it a one score game actually i believe they tied it here in the fourth making it 28 28 here and then ray would actually go ahead and stop Wiggins whose offense just was not working at all uh, Ray playing good defense as well not to discredit them at all but uh, Ray they would get a stop and then eventually put together another nice drive here and run it in for a touchdown to take the 35 to 28 lead and Wiggins here they had their chance to go ahead and tie this game I believe they had a chance with about three or four minutes left and i believe they went three and out or really close to it 
Uh, just nothing really going there. And then Ray, they tried to run out the clock, but this Wiggins defense played well. And they did give Wiggins the ball with, I believe, a minute, minute 30 seconds left. They were about at the 15 or 20. So definitely doable, especially when you have a guy like Cole Kerr, Julio Flores, uh, Omar Perez. I mean, all guys who have started for multiple years now and, you know, are as seasoned as you could get you know at this point in the playoffs and you know they try to put together a drive and on the last play here it looks like Cole Kerr had someone just get wide open downfield like I'm talking this kid had at least five to six steps on the next closest defender if Kolker put it out there it would have been a wide open touchdown to tie this game but he, he must have got hit or something or maybe it was just a bad throw couldn't quite see it from the angle uh I was watching but he underthrew this one and I believe it was Casey Midcap here who would go ahead and intercept it and seal this game for Ray as Ray completes the comeback here uh 35 to 28 and just i mean they had to really grind this one out because i'm not gonna lie like i said there were multiple times of this game where i thought it was over but wiggins just didn't quite score that extra touchdown to go ahead and go up by three or four or even five scores you know i mean they like i said it was a two score game for a lot of this game and they were really comfortable with that and it kind of just bit them in the butt at the end. I mean, just a lot of offensive drives that they just couldn't complete, especially in the second half. In the second half, it just felt like this Wiggins offense used up all their juice in the first half. And so, uh, really disappointing way for Wiggins to end their season. I know there's a lot of guys over there. We got a lot of love for the guys over there uh, that have been starting for multiple years. We've covered them over these last two years or so, mostly. And it's just a tough way to go. You know, but Ray, they're a very good team and they showed that and they showed that they can grind out a game and that you have to put them away. This is not a team you want to dance around with. You need to put them away and play a full four, four quarters, even if you're up by a lot in the first half. And, you know, Ray, I think they made some a lot of mistakes, I would say, on defense uh, in that first half that they're probably not going to make anymore moving forward i can't imagine them you know spotting another team that many points again and so uh they're moving on to the next round i believe ray will actually play strasburg for a chance at the state title but let me go ahead and read off some stats here before moving on to the last quarterfinals games here uh samuel meisner you know he was a big part of this comeback for ray 20 carries 89 rushing yards three rushing touchdowns also on defense had 14 tackles one of the lead tacklers for a definitely a playmaker of the week candidate here so there you go uh chris arambula 17 receptions 128 receiving yards two receiving touchdowns obviously casey midcap their sophomore quarterback throwing both of those touchdowns there uh casey midcap did throw two interceptions on offense but on defense made up for it and got two interceptions of his own there so there you go ray here surviving an early onslaught by wiggins to go ahead and come back and win this one in a game that i'm sure ray fans will remember forever and move on to the next round of the playoffs to play strasburg and if they win they move on to state as simple as that so there you go but let me go ahead and recap uh this other game here colorado springs christian versus yuma the winner of this game would go on to play lyman in the next round
What's good, y'all? Uh, it's Simon Villanos, aka Coach V, and I went to the Colorado Springs Christian versus Yuma playoff game here last Friday. That is November 11th here uh, in Colorado Springs, and so. Leading up to this game, obviously, Colorado Springs Christian, they upset Buena Vista at Buena Vista. And then Yuma is coming off of a win, obviously, as well. A 42-6 dub over Ryan. So going into this game, Yuma was heavily favored. I think actually only one of us picked Yuma to, uh, or sorry, one of us picked CSCS, Colorado Springs Christian, to beat Yuma. And so that's kind of the odds going into this game but let's go ahead and get this thing started here uh yuma would start with the ball here and you know they're a running team and so they ran it with um their quarterback nash richardson um their running back balky i want to say is how you say it uh, and they get they did get a first down here to start this drive here but eventually this colorado springs christian Front seven would go ahead and get a stop here and uh, it force a fourth and three situation where Yuma would run the ball but would end up being a turnover on downs here. And so just like that, Colorado Springs Christian takes over uh, on the 29-yard line. And here's how that goes. So Jonah Bullock on a sweep would go ahead and get them a first down. Casey Orrick with a dive, or sorry, with a catch would go ahead and get them a second consecutive first down here as the Lions are driving here. And then this drive would end with Jace Velasquez, their quarterback, finding the senior wide receiver Taylor McLeod, who had a great game this game, on a post route here it looked like, to go ahead and take a 6-0 lead with about five minutes left here in the first quarter. Now, the PAT would be blocked by Yuma, and so they would only lead 6-0. So here we go. Still in the first quarter, Yuma, they're trying to get something going to match them or potentially take the lead if they make the PAT. And that starts with their running back. I believe it's pronounced Ethan Gogline. Uh, excuse me if I'm saying that wrong. But number 23, they go ahead and feed him the ball. And he rips off a really long 30-plus yard gain uh, right up the middle, getting them across midfield. They go ahead and give it to him again. And... Um, like right up the middle and he goes ahead and scores with two minutes 23 seconds left and then Alex Lozano for Yuma he's not gonna miss any PATs he goes ahead and makes this one and make it a Yuma 7-6 to lead and so here we go Colorado Springs Christian uh they get the touchback and take over on the 20 but they don't quite get a lot going here you know this Yuma team brings some pressure and forces some throwaways and so they go ahead and force a three and out um and Yuma would actually take over on the 39 after a great Damon Hernandez return here but Unfortunately, uh, blocking the back penalty would push them back to the 46 just before midfield here. And then right before the first quarter and Yuma would have two runs here. Um, that would bring up a third and fourth situation. And then Silas Bauke, uh one of their running backs, would go ahead and take the handoff on a sweep left and get 10 plus yards crossing midfield right in time for the second 
quarter. Now here in the second quarter, it's second and nine, and they go ahead and run the ball here. Um, and it becomes third and three after an Ethan uh, uh, Gogline, excuse me, Ethan Gogline dive here. Um, so there you go. Third and three here though, Nash Richardson, the Yuma quarterback, goes ahead and takes it himself and he gets uh, the first down here and puts Yuma near the red zone at this point. They're right on the edge of that 20 yard line. But right after that, Nash Richardson, the quarterback, he rolls out and Yuma is passing it, kind of catching Colorado Springs Christian off guard since uh, Yuma really doesn't pass it like that and they roll Nash Richardson out and he throws it to his guy Kevin Hermasio who catches it one-handed and brings this one in a instant highlight for you right there and that goes for a nice touchdown and so just like that Yuma leads 14 to 6 here in the second quarter. Colorado Springs Christian, they will get the ball back here on offense, trying to respond back. And the drive starts out pretty well here. Uh, Jason Velasquez checking down to his running back, Ashton Lofton, who gets them a nice catch and run for about 20 plus yards to really kick this thing off. A um, couple plays later, it's third and three after a nice Taylor McLeod screen, making it a manageable third and three. Uh, they run it up the middle with Ashton Lofton, the running back. He stood up just a little short. So it's about fourth and inches and Colorado Springs Christian decides to go for it to keep this promising drive alive and they run a sweep um, with Casey Ulrich here and he gets the first down actually plus a couple more here but unfortunately they go ahead and call a chop block on Colorado Springs Christian and so instead of a first down uh, it makes it a fourth and 11 situation and that's when Colorado Springs Christian decides to punt it but right when they punt it Yuma gets the block here uh, Jesus Ross uh, gets them to the 45 before midfield and so Yuma is in a great situation with a pretty short field to work with here and they stick to their game plan they run the ball hand it off to uh, Balky they get it to Nash Richardson um, who throws another pass uh, funny enough to Damon Hernandez who gets them a first down across midfield then they keep handing it off to Balky who gets them a first down to the 27 and then right after that Nash Richardson they go ahead and call a quarterback run with him and so on the keeper Nash Richardson he just weaves in and out of this Colorado Springs Christian defense great blocking by the Zuma team by the way and scores a 27 yard rushing touchdown making it a 21 to 6 Yuma lead here after the PAT with about 534 left here in the first half and so this situation is not a great situation uh, you want to be in if you're Colorado Springs Christian especially against a team that loves to run the ball that's just going to keep using up the clock and so there's definitely some urgency for this Colorado Springs Christian offense to score and get something on the board right before halftime here and make it a more manageable game. And so that's what they try to do here. Starting with Jason Velasquez, he drops back and he finds his guy Casey Ulrich who goes ahead and bosses somebody, puts him on a poster for a 27 yard gain and getting them a first. But then, uh, unfortunately, there's a false start caught on Colorado Springs Christian. 
makes him first and 15, but it doesn't matter as they would go ahead and eventually get a first down here. Um, they would have to use all four downs to get a first down, but still got one regardless to extend this drive. Jace Velasquez, you know, they uh, drop him back and he makes a great heads up decision and scrambles for the first down instead of waiting for somebody to get open. And so that extends this drive. Uh, like I said, great decision by Jace here. And then after that, a um, couple plays later, it's about third and six here. They go ahead and call, it looks like a screen, to Taylor McLeod. And he makes a couple players miss here. Uh, just making a play right here. And breaks a couple tackles and gets a first down. Extending this drive once more for Colorado Springs Christian. Um, then at this point, Yuma, they call a timeout with about a mi minute 47 seconds left here in the first half. They want to regroup here. But um, doesn't quite work out as the defense uh, encroaches right after and makes it first and five here. Um, they would eventually go ahead and get the first down and almost score here when Jason Velasquez, he drops back. He maneuvers around in the pocket, steps up, and throws a nice little sidearm throw on the crossing route to Casey Orrick, who, like I said, almost scores, but is down uh, within the five-yard line, it looks like. And so um, they go ahead and hurry up to the line. They call play. Jace Velasquez, he drops back, and then he scrambles around couldn't find anybody, so he just gets back to the line of scrimmage where he's down. That's where they go ahead and call a timeout with about 25 seconds left here. And so, coming out of the timeout, they go ahead and call another pass play here in the red zone. Jace drops back, doesn't see anybody, but he maneuvers around, eventually finds a lane right up the middle, and he takes it for a big time rushing touchdown right before half here. Now, CSCS, they decide to go for two here, call a nice route to, I believe, Casey Orrick. Uh, Velasquez, he throws it what looks like in time, but it's slightly overthrown. And so Yuma maintains their 21 to 12 lead going into the half and that's basically all that happened in the first half the 26 seconds were basically ran off from there now colorado springs christian they get the ball to receive here in the second half which helps them out a lot and they want to keep building on their momentum and that's what they do it's third and five after a couple plays they took over on the 20 on the touchback and so now they're on the 25 yard line and they go ahead and drop back jace velasquez for a pass and he finds taylor mcleod in single coverage and jace throws an absolutely just fantastic ball here leads his receiver all the way down and puts it only where his receiver could catch it he already has a step on the corner and taylor mcleod catches this one a beautiful throw here in stride and burns the yuma defense for a 75 yard touchdown just like that uh, colorado springs christian makes it a more manageable one score game it is 21 to 18 yuma still has the lead but Colorado Springs Christian, they decide to go for it here. They call a run to the running back Ashton Lofton, but he is stuffing. So despite not getting the two-point conversion, Colorado Springs Christian right back in it, um, trailing by only three with 11 minutes and 11 seconds left here in the third quarter. Now, Yuma, they get the ball. They're trying to burn some clock and hopefully score a couple times to put this one away here. But... As they run it, it's fourth and one. They go ahead and call a run play. They get it, 
but a holding call is called on Yuma, and so that brings it back here, um, making it 4th and 13, I believe, or something like that, and so Yuma's forced to punt here, and so they do, uh, going 3 and out, and Colorado Springs Christian takes over with about 8 minutes 40 seconds left here on the 45, uh, past midfield, a nice return by Jonah Bullock here, so there you go there, now, Colorado Springs Christian, they are trying to make something happen, but a chop block would make it second and 20, and then Yuma brings the pressure, that makes it third and 20, um, and so it's third and 20, Colorado Springs Christian, they decide to take a shot here, Velasquez goes deep, but Damon Hernandez, the all-playmaker safety, makes a play and breaks this one up, I believe it looks like it's almost picked and so Colorado Springs Christian goes three and out here um some bad mistakes preventing them from taking the lead now for Yuma they don't exactly put this one away as they go ahead and continue to run it but they call holding call on Yuma that makes a first and 20 then right after that play they call a chop block that makes it second and 20 plus it looks like second and 26 um really tough situation here you know, Yuma would try to call bubble pass. That would only make it third and 15. And then Richardson on third and 15 will try to scramble for the first, but he's brought down um, pretty short here. It's like third and eight or fourth and eight or something like that. And so they go ahead and are forced to punt going three and out some just bad penalties here uh, for both teams as, uh, you know, no one has quite taken over yet. And so Colorado Springs Christian with, an, with another chance to potentially take the lead they take over on the 45 right before midfield with the four minutes 20 seconds left here and so here we go it's a third and one situation velasquez he drops back he goes ahead and throws it to taylor mcleod here it looks like either a check down or a swing pass i mean it could definitely be both and taylor mcleod goes ahead and burns the entire yuma defense to the house for a big time 50 plus yard touchdown here and giving Colorado Springs Christian the lead as they now lead 24 to 21 completing the comeback after being down um, 21 to 6 I believe with 3 minutes 32 seconds left here in the third quarter so still a lot of football to be played here now Yuma they are just struggling to get going here as this Colorado Springs Christian defense is beginning to go ahead and tighten up and lock up here and so right before the fourth quarter you know uh, Colorado Springs Christian their defense forces Yuma into a fourth and five situation here but Nash Richardson makes an excellent throw on the slant, slant route to Kevin Hermasio, who gets the first down. A tough throw and tough catch on this one to extend the drive here. But a couple runs later, it is third and eight. Like I said, Yuma struggling to get a lot of yardage here. And so they're forced to throw the ball here. But Nate Tonneson, your 1A 2022 Defensive Playmaker of the Year, goes ahead and forces a throwaway here. And so that forces Yuma to go ahead and punt it and live another day and this one's a great punt Yuma actually pins Colorado Springs Christian on the two yard line here with about 10 minutes and 14 seconds left in this game and so Colorado Springs Christian in a very dangerous situation gotta get out their red uh their own end zone here and so they call a pass play deep it is barely just missed here Velasquez I believe was aiming for Taylor McLeod and it was just slightly overthrown 
but it wouldn't have mattered anyways as they would go ahead and call a holding penalty on Colorado Springs Christian, I believe. And because it happened in the end zone, that is considered a safety. And so just like that, Yuma cuts into this lead uh, on defense. And But Colorado Springs Christian, they still lead 24 to 23. The only difference is that Yuma will now be getting the ball back with about 10 minutes, uh, 8 seconds left here in the game with a chance to, you know, go ahead and put together a drive to win it. And so Yuma, they take over on the 48 pass midfield here. And so here is what happened. They are driving. They are running the ball here. It is fourth and one. Um, and Yuma decides to go for it, obviously, because they want to score on this drive, even get into field goal range. But Colorado Springs Christian, they go ahead and stand up the running back and then force a fumble and recover that fumble here. And so Colorado Springs Christian would go ahead and take over here, not allowing any points for Yuma. But Yuma, right after that, would force and recover a fumble of their own and take over uh, for a first down on the 32-yard line. And so Yuma could definitely potentially kick a field goal here. But, you know, it's first down. They decide to run the ball if they could get a touchdown. I'm sure that's what they would prefer. But Nathaniel Tonneson comes up big for Colorado Springs Christian here first tackling um, Bauke for a loss that makes it a third and five situation and then once again they run it with Bauke and once again Tonneson stuffs Bauke bringing up fourth and five here and so Yuma they decide to kick it here but the snap is bobbled and Colorado Springs Christian recovers that and uh, stops that kick from happening here and so we got about five minutes 53 seconds left. They're on the 35-yard line here. You know, they still got the lead. A score would definitely put this thing away here. And so a couple plays later, it's third and eight. Velasquez, he drops back. He aims for Casey Orrick here. And Casey Orrick, the senior, goes ahead and mosses the defender. It looks like it might have been a pick for a second there, but he rips this one away for a big 30-plus yard gain and the first down here and so Colorado Springs Christian they begin to run the ball here uh, Yuma they begin to use their timeout so they call their first timeout with about 4 minutes 20 seconds uh, left here in this game um, then right after that there's a false start called on Colorado Springs Christian makes a 3rd and 14 uh, they run the play on 3rd down it's an incomplete pass that brings up 4th down here and Colorado Springs Christian decides to go for it trying to extend this drive here get something going and they call a pass play with Jace Velasquez and he does a good job avoiding the defenders extending the play like he has been doing all night but this time around he takes just a little bit too much time here and just takes a bad sack uh, as number five that's Jonathan Thompson for Yuma their outside linebacker would go ahead and tackle him giving Yuma the ball back with about I'd say 3 minutes and 56 seconds left here on the 35, uh, the majority of the field to drive here. And this is what happens. Uh, Yuma, they try to run the ball outside, but Nate Tonneson is there and is shutting it down. That forces a 3rd and 11 situation here. Uh, and then so thir on 3rd and 11, Yuma, they decide to pass it, but the ball is deflected at the line. That brings up 4th down here. And so, fourth down, Yuma, they go ahead and take a timeout before they attempt this thing here. 
and they call a pass play. Taylor McLeod is in coverage, and he goes ahead and bats this one down here. And so Colorado Springs Christian takes over on downs with about three minutes left here in this game. But Yuma is not going down easily, and they force a three and out on Colorado Springs Christian here. And right before... Colorado Springs Christian could punt it. Yuma would force a fumble actually and recover it on the 23-yard line with about 2 minutes and 23 seconds left to go. They got basically the length of the field to drive here. Still a chance to potentially win this one. And so they go ahead and run the ball. It is stopped here. And then on second down, they run a misdirection play. Nate Tonneson, I believe, is there for that. And he shuts that one down. That brings up third and 12 here. And then after that, uh, they go ahead and call pass play. Nate Tonneson, I believe, him and a couple other CSCS defenders go ahead and sack the quarterback here. And so that brings up fourth and 14 as the clock is running. And Yuma... They gotta throw it here, so they drop Richardson back, but once again, it's Nathaniel Tonneson, your 1A 2022 Defensive Playmaker of the Year, making waves here, just taking over this entire fourth quarter, and he forces the quarterback to throw this one away. He gets a lot of pressure on the quarterback, almost sacks him. The quarterback just barely gets the ball out, but it goes to no one. And so that is the game here, an incompletion on 4th and 14. And Colorado Springs Christian, on the backs of We Believe Chance, gets their second straight upset, beating Yuma 24-23 here in an absolute thriller here at home. Nathaniel Tonneson really stepping up for this team and closing when they needed it, but also the offense for this team, led by Jace Velasquez, doing a very good job. Jace Velasquez having a playmaker of the week type of game in this big time upset over Yuma. Now Yuma, um, I did forget to mention this, but you know, with about 20, 30 seconds left in the first half, they were actually able to drive to, I wanna say the 25 yard line here. I uh, had a couple of nice plays from Nash Richardson who would go ahead and scramble and uh, get them set up here, but they would get it set up on the 25 yard line here um, in Colorado Springs Christian territory and would kick a field goal before the half would end and they would actually miss this field goal and so if Yuma made it they would have led 24 to 12 here and you know assuming everything else goes the way it would have from there on they would have won by two points um but instead you know they uh left some points there on the board it wasn't you know the longest field goal or windy or anything either so just very uncharacteristic of them and on top of that they did have a couple other opportunities here it's just this colorado springs christian defense came to play and they played very well gang tackling not allowing any yardage here really on those dives and sweeps here forcing yuma into third and long situations and they just did a very good job and like i said on top of that offense played while well. they picked it up uh, did have to rely on some big splash plays but at the end of the day a win is a win as Colorado Springs Christian will be moving on to the next round uh, with a chance to play for state all right now some stats from that game Jace Velasquez 
15 of 21, 339 passing yards, two passing touchdowns, four carries, 10 yards, and one rushing touchdown. Definitely a playmaker of the week candidate. He led this offense and did a very good job here. Then you got Taylor McLeod, six receptions, 176 receiving yards, two receiving touchdowns, doing his thing as well. Uh, Casey Orrick, four receptions, 100 receiving yards, and one receiving touchdown. And actually, excuse me, that is three passing touchdowns for Jace Velasquez, not two. So there you go. And all in a great effort to go ahead and defeat Yuma 24 to 20. Three. Moving on to two-way football, let's go ahead and recap these quarterfinals games. We have Rifle versus Montezuma Cortez. Uh, couldn't find the live stream, couldn't find any stats really on this game, but Montezuma Cortez wins 14-0 and moves on to the next round of the playoffs for a chance at state here. Uh, for a chance to go to state, not a chance at winning state, but still... Very good season so far for Montezuma Cortez as they continue their role here. And then we got Alamosa versus Delta. Alamosa having to go to Delta here. Uh, Delta wins big 37-8 to here. Really just dominating. I mean, shout out to Connor Workman, a playmaker of the week candidate. 20 carries, 167 rushing yards, 2 rushing touchdowns, 6 tackles, 1 sack. And then shout out Ryland Bynum as well, who had two interceptions uh, over Alamosa for Delta here. As this Delta team did not have to pass the ball too much here. They really just relied on running the football and playing good defense. And that led to a pretty easy 37-8 win over Alamosa. Uh, Delta moving on to the next round of the playoffs. And then we got Basalt versus Eden here. Uh, Eden playing at home. And they go ahead and defeat Basalt kind of by a lot. Not really expected here. Some of us thought this would be a closer game. But Eden wins big 41-7 to over Basalt. Completely shutting them down on defense. And this was a game that I got to see a little bit of. Eden just got to a really fast start on offense. And I mean, they were up 21-0. to by the end of the first quarter, I'm pretty sure here. Walker Martin in this game, perfect. 6 of 6 for 157 passing yards. 3 passing touchdowns. Also had a rushing touchdown. Um, those 3 passing touchdowns went to 3 different receivers. Believe it was Tate Smith, Austin Martinez, and Zach Grable there. Uh, just very efficient. And then on defense, like I said, they really did a lot to shut down this basalt team. A uh, lot of interceptions, but Trent Salberg, he got... Got two of those of the only guys to get two and then like I said a lot of other guys got some picks uh, and this Eden team just dominated at full strength for the first time since the last week of the regular season having Morgan Trebet back now and they move on to the next round of the playoffs still looking to protect their crown here and potentially three-peat so we will see about that Oh, by the way, Eden will be playing Montezuma Cortez. It looks like Montezuma Cortez is due to host a playoff game, though. So Eden's going to have to make the long trip down south to go ahead and play them. So it's going to be a difficult uh, drive down, but, you know, they're going to be playing Montezuma Cortez. That should be a good semifinal playoff game. And then the last quarterfinal game, I wanted to talk about and this was a game i made sure to watch from the beginning hey because apparently we don't pay enough attention to colorado high school football so i made sure to pay a lot of attention to this game even though it was over really quick but tca versus university 
TCA, the higher seed, going up to play University at home here. And look, this one wasn't even close. TCA wins big 44-12, but they absolutely dominated here. Going up 28-0 here in the first quarter here. This TCA offensive line at the end was simply too much for University to handle here. They're blowing up holes and lanes wide open. I'm talking five or six yards deep here. Uh, just absolutely dominating University on defense specifically. You know, and then this TCA defense, you know, uh, they did allow a couple big plays. A credit to Cole Crosett and all of them. You know, they got a couple of plays to get some things going. But this TCA defense, bend, do not break. And they did not break too many times. And in this first quarter, they I don't believe they allowed a touchdown at all. Um, the only, I think one of the two touchdowns the university scored came in the second quarter. But they're already up 28 to 7. And then the other one obviously came in the second half, so it didn't matter. But you know, I like I said, made sure to watch a lot of this game because we don't pay attention enough to uh, Colorado high school football, apparently. So I made sure to pay attention to this one a lot. But like I said, TCA, they really just ran the ball, and that was it. I mean, they didn't really have to pass it. Did attempt a couple passes here and there. Uh, I, I am going to say, though, some of those pass attempts were a little bit shaky. Don't know about attempting uh, those, but, I mean, you know, TCA just wanted to get something going here. You know, get some momentum going into the next round of the playoffs. But, uh, big shout out to this offensive line. If I could give Playmaker of the Week to an entire unit, I would probably give it to this TCA offensive line. Um, but I will not. <laughs> I will not. But I will shout out the running back here in Ethan Aragundi, who had 29 carries, 131 rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns, just absolutely killing them on the ground. Uh, Andrew Brown, the quarterback for TCA, like I said, didn't exactly throw the ball super well, but didn't matter. They were just killing University on the ground here. Uh, but he had eight carries for 58 rushing yards and one rushing touchdown. Caden Rusin, only nine carries, but a third of those carries went for rushing touchdowns. He had a hat trick with three rushing touchdowns, 43 rushing yards there. Aaron Johnson, someone who made our all playmaker team, by the way. Some people, you know, maybe not believing that, uh, you know, they were super deserving of making the all playmaker team. He proves that he deserves to be on there. He got two interceptions this game against university so there you go also on offense six receptions 48 receiving yards uh, basically the bulk of their passing game to be honest with you so there you go there but aaron johnson playing excellent on defense helping shut down the university offense here as tca the higher seed goes ahead and defeats university in Greeley 44 to 12 and moves on to the next round of the playoffs here, avoiding the upset, which is key. And they will be playing Delta in the next round, which is not going to be any easier uh, as Delta, you know, just dominated Alamosa as well. And so this should be a very fun playoff game between these two to decide who goes to state. But there you go. That is your 2A Colorado High School football playoffs recap. Guess we do know a little bit about what we're talking about here on the podcast. But let's move up to 3A here. Talk about some great 3A playoff football. And only the first round here as they did start later 
than all the other classifications here. And already in the first round, we had some great matchups. But let's go ahead and talk about Frederick versus Summit first. Uh, Frederick won pretty big here, 41 to 21. River Lakey, 155 rushing yards, four rushing touchdowns as they controlled the game and move on to the next round here. Roosevelt versus Discovery Canyon matchup between the 1 and 16 seed here. Roosevelt won pretty easily as expected, 41 to 0. Xavier Ramirez, 12 carries, 159 rushing yards, 5 rushing touchdowns. You already know he's in the Playmaker of the Week uh, consideration here. He's definitely a candidate. But I do want to highlight something that did happen in this game. That is history that everyone will, will remember. Roosevelt and this player, a guy that we've been rocking with for a really long time now. That's Tucker Peterson in this game. He had two receptions for 83 receiving yards and one receiving touchdown. Did get an interception on defense though. But I do want to talk about that one touchdown because the one touchdown he scored in this game was the one that he needed to become your Colorado all-time receiving touchdowns leader. Tucker Peterson of Roosevelt has surpassed the likes of Christian McCaffrey and many more to go ahead and be the all-time leader here. And the first Colorado high school football player to ever catch 50 receiving touchdowns here on varsity and so he is the first ever in colorado football history to do that on top of that i mean because he is the first one to reach 50 he's also the first one to reach 50 career receiving touchdowns with four different quarterbacks and so i'm gonna go ahead and shout out those guys his freshman year he had Braden saya uh his sophomore year a covid year that was shortened he had Brig Hartson and then his junior year last year he had Brock Sia the brother of Braden Sia I believe and then this year the guy who threw that touchdown and has had a pretty solid season so far Bronco Hartson the brother of Brig Hartson all four of those quarterbacks throwing to Tucker Peterson I'm sure Tucker would like us to go ahead and recognize those guys and so we will you know Roosevelt legends uh, throwing to a Roosevelt legend here a fellow one in Tucker Peterson who like I said is now your all-time Colorado receiving touchdowns leader so there you go there congrats to tucker peterson i mean there's a reason why he's the cover of this episode i mean he made history you do not see that every day um the closest guy to him i would say is probably bb hills of vista ridge he's a couple of touchdowns behind but still spoiler alert in the playoff race this season hasn't ended and so that is probably the next closest guy to reach tucker uh but bb is also a senior like tucker and so we'll see how that plays out regardless he is your new receiving touchdowns leader for now that's tucker peterson of roosevelt congrats bud if you're listening to this super well deserving guy and definitely a next level player and the embodiment of this roosevelt football program and the culture they have over there let's move on though um by the way roosevelt obviously moving on to the next round of the playoffs but moving on we got lutheran versus pueblo east i actually got to see this matchup down in pueblo uh, earlier on in the regular season and it was not close this playoff matchup unfortunately was not close uh, 
either in Lutheran. I mean, Lutheran, they went up 14-0 to in the first quarter, would score 14 points in the second quarter uh, to go up 28. Pueblo East would score a touchdown to make it 28-6, to but this one was just not super close. Lutheran moves on to the next round of the playoffs, taking care of Pueblo East 49-6. to Defense playing great. Uh, offense... I mean, they did their thing as well. They scored 49 points. Riken Doggard, his first uh, playoff game, struggled just a little bit here. 17 of 26, 210 passing yards, so that looks efficient. But did throw one touchdown to three interceptions. Got to clean that up moving forward, and I'm sure he will. But on the ground, they went ahead and did a lot here. Ryan Kenny, 17 carries, 127 rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns. Chase Sorensen, a senior here, uh, threw for a passing touchdown, by the way. But he had six carries for 103 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns as well. Uh, Joe Cicio, 10 receptions, 112 receiving yards, and a receiving touchdown. Says, like I said, Lutheran would go on uh, into the next round of the playoffs with a big win, 49-6 here over Pueblo East. On to the next matchup, we got Green Mountain versus Resurrection Christian here. Green Mountain, the heavy favorite, and they go ahead and win kind of by a lot here. Uh, 58-0 to zero over Resurrection Christian here. Uh, Resurrection Christian obviously moving up from 2A to 3A, so this was their first 3A playoff game. And, you know, they are a young squad, so there's no surprises here. Uh, Green Mountain is the opposite of a young squad. Green Mountain is the most seasoned team here in 3A and probably the most battle-hardened team as all pretty much all of the starters they have started last year where they lost to Fort Morgan, I believe, in the first round. So there you go there. But this time, they move on to the second round here. Anthony DeGrazia, 6 carries, 78 rushing yards, 3 rushing touchdowns, a big part of that offensive explosion for Green Mountain as they move on. Then we got Evergreen versus Thompson Valley. Got to watch a little bit of this game, uh, mostly in the second half here. But Evergreen would win 16-13 to here. Evergreen would have two passing touchdowns, obviously, from Tommy Poholski. And a safety on defense that would give them their 16 points here. Uh, Thompson Valley would score 10 here in the first half. So it was only 16-10 to going into halftime. But Evergreen just played excellent defense, holding strong. They would allow Thompson Valley to kick a field goal, I believe, in the fourth quarter. Uh, but Thompson Valley just not quite able to put together another scoring drive here as uh, Evergreen survives and moves on to the second round for the first time in a couple years at least here. So good for them. We got Harrison versus Durango. Harrison having to make the trip down to Durango. Uh, they are not in the same league this year, but in the past couple years they were. So a little bit of a rematch of sorts from the last couple years. I know they've been battling that league before the split, but Durango here takes care of business at home. 42 to 13. Tyler Harms, 8 of 11 for 172 passing yards. Very efficient there. Four passing touchdowns, only one pick. You love to see that. Um, on the ground here, you know, they had 212 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns as a committee, but Jarek Baruch here was a big part of that. 15 carries, 55 yards, scored both of those rushing touchdowns. Uh, Jackson Foncher, I want to say, 10 carries, 52 yards. 
Zachary Aber, nine carries, 51 yards. Tyler Harms, by the way, also had 34 rushing yards on the ground as well. So there you go. Uh, in the air here, I believe it's Taggart Barden. Excuse me if I'm saying that wrong. But he had four receptions, 84 receiving yards, three receiving touchdowns here. Good job there. Uh, as he was the lead receiver for the squad. And then on defense, I mean, they just dominated here. Uh, two interceptions for Jackson Foncher. Uh, Brady Hansen also had one. And then Jacob Newbert looks like he recovered a fumble as Durango takes care of business against former league rivals Harrison. And Durango will move on to the next round of the playoffs. Then we got George Washington versus Holy Family. Got to watch a bit of this game, mostly in the second half here. Uh, started as a close one, but George Washington definitely pulled away in that second half relying on the passing game obviously much more than uh you know in the last game they played where it was snowing a ton but relied on the passing game passing game came through for them and george washington uh, just kept responding with touchdown after touchdown to continue to distance distance themselves from holy family who was you know they were staying within striking distance but just had a lot of trouble stopping g-dub on offense here i believe g-dub would go ahead and score a touchdown in the fourth to go up by two scores here um but holy family would get a garbage time touchdown regardless though george washington defeats holy family 42 to 35 uh, at holy family by the way and george washington will move on to the next round to go ahead and play durango in the second i believe they have to travel down to durango so there you go there and then the last 3a playoff game i'm going to talk about northridge versus palisade here here's how it went down i got to see mostly the fourth quarter i'm going to recap what happened before that uh malachi espinosa would score two rushing touchdowns that will put palisade up here northridge would score off of a 41 yard cooper rose passing touchdown and then that's basically the situation going into the fourth quarter uh palisade only leading 14 to 7 a very close game here you know how palisade plays they pound the rock and they play good defense and northridge they have the home field advantage but they are battling here at home and so here in the fourth quarter here's what goes down northridge on defense would eventually get a stop and force a punt and so they would get the ball back on offense with about three minutes left plenty of time here to drive down the field and score a touchdown they're about uh, they're near midfield uh, just behind it at the 40 45 yard line here and this is how it goes down northridge would actually get a really big uh throw and catch i believe it was on third down definitely a later down here for northridge and this pass would put northridge basically in the red zone at the 10 or so or inside the 10 with the chance to go ahead and score a touchdown and win it at this point there was about a minute left or so in this game but northridge here they try to run it they don't get anything and then the next three downs they pass it here and all of them were incomplete the last two plays here um the second to last one on third down the pass it was just not super accurate here it was just a hard ball to bring in so that one incomplete and then on fourth down cooper rose had a wide open receiver 
but the timing was just off here. He threw it kind of late, and so the ball was behind the receiver, and the receiver was just not able to catch that one and, you know, stay in bounds. And so that's how Northridge would lose here uh, in a really big upset to Palisade, who is way better than what the record says. And so Palisade wins 14-7 to in a grinded-out game away here. And so Palisade will move on to the next round of the playoffs and so that will basically round up all the teams moving on to the second round in 3a okay let's move on let's go on to 4a here starting with erie versus denver south here uh denver south hosting and all of us i believe picked denver south after erie had a really rocky start through the regular season but has been definitely picking it up and a lot of credit to Erie and that team because they really stepped up in this game and they won this game 35 to 10 here defense playing an excellent game here against Denver South that just uncharacteristically struggled to score in a really big playoff game but, you know, Erie, they took care of business and continued to move on to the next run of the playoffs. Shout out to Blake Barnett. He had a great game here, threw a passing touchdown to Caden Lettuce, and then had four straight rushing touchdowns to go ahead and put Denver South away here. I mean... They just took care of business here, and they'll move on to the next round here with a big upset for Erie and Denver South. I mean, they're going to be losing a lot of seniors, and that's a tough way to go. You got to come ready to play in the playoffs. That's just what it comes down to. Speaking of staying ready, we got Ponderosa versus Pueblo West. And in an interesting turn of events, I was looking at the box score here, and it looks like Zach Stryker the starting quarterback for Ponderosa had one carry and then did not play at all, uh, I guess, for the rest of the game here. And in place of Zach Stryker was Max Mervin, the standout wide receiver, the sophomore wide receiver who I don't believe has played quarterback before because he's been on varsity since his freshman year as a receiver. But Max here stands in at quarterback and he does a pretty solid job here in the game he went 12 of 22 for 114 passing yards two passing touchdowns also had 29 rushing yards and a touchdown in a rushing touchdown in this game but let me go ahead and talk about how this game happened so at the end of the first quarter it was tied seven to seven at this point max mervin was in Gavin Lockett at the 7-minute mark would go ahead and throw a 17-yard touchdown pass to Brock Keck to take the 14-7 lead, but then Ponderosa would run in a touchdown um, with Max Mervin. It was from the 1-yard line, I believe, uh, making it a 14-14 game, a tied game going into halftime. Uh, in the third quarter, though, around the 5-minute mark, Max Mervin would complete a pass for a touchdown to put Ponderosa up 21 to 14 with about five minutes left here in the third the west would then be driving down the field here but then would get intercepted here by ponderosa and they would go ahead and take over on downs here ponderosa would try to run out the clock here and potentially score pueblo west would get a pretty big stop here and uh, stop them on fourth down and get the ball on the 16 yard line right before the fourth quarter or sorry, third quarter ended. And so going into the fourth quarter, it's 21-14 Ponderosa with a lead here. And 
this is when Pueblo West begins to fall apart. They would go ahead and throw a pick six. That's a 23-yard return. And just like that, Ponderosa would go up 27-14, to 14, would miss the PAT. Then Pueblo West, they would get the ball. And on the same drive, they would throw another pick six here. And that would make it 33 to 14 ponderosa would try to go for two but it would be no good at this point it's 33 to 14 there's seven minutes left it is very much an uphill battle here um ponderosa they would end up punting it to pueblo west with with about a minute left pueblo west they would try to go ahead and get something going but would end up throwing another interception and that's how this game would end ponderosa defeating pueblo west 33 to 14 on the backs of their backup quarterback here um really i don't know if he's their backup quarterback because uh, we watched a ponderosa game and they played a different quarterback uh as the backup to zach striker here but i guess max mervin here in his first uh, looks like varsity start as quarterback 12 of 22 114 yards like i said two touchdowns also had a rushing touchdown scored all of uh, ponderosa's offensive rushing touchdowns did throw to carson keach for those two but on defense this ponderosa defense uh they really stepped up here blake Branham, nine tackles two tackles for loss had two interceptions one of those was the pick six i believe so there you go but as far as interceptions go, Carson Kichos had a pick, Liam Edwards had a pick, Donnie Garcia had a pick. That's five interceptions that Ponderosa would force here. Uh, three of them here in the fourth quarter. So there you go. Ponderosa moves on to the next round here. Zach Stryker, don't know what happened to him. I would just consider him as questionable moving on into the next round. So we'll see what happens. But Max Mervin saves Ponderosa's season playing well enough for them to win and move on. So there you go there. Um, Loveland versus Dakota Ridge. Dakota Ridge going to Loveland here. Loveland really had control of this game for uh, most of it. Drew Foley, Garrett Harstead, and two Jude I think it's Mayu, um, rushing touchdowns would go ahead and put Loveland up 28-7 to with those rushing touchdowns with about six minutes left here in the third. Dakota Ridge, they would put together two more scoring drives, but it would just not be enough time for the comeback here as Loveland would use up a lot of the clock here uh, to not only go up 28-7, to but whenever they got the ball after those Dakota Ridge drives, I mean, they just used up as much of the clock as possible. So Loveland moves on to the next round. Dakota Ridge coming up just a little bit short here. Heritage versus versus Mesa Ridge here. Uh, Heritage wins 21 to 10 here. Kind of a low scoring affair as this Heritage defense came to play and did a very good job shutting down this explosive Mesa Ridge offense here. Uh, on offense for Heritage, Zyrek Siegler, 25 carries, 145 rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns, powering most of this offense here. And then Nick Long on defense, uh, five tackles, two sacks in a big one as Heritage moves on to the next round. Then we got Palmer Ridge versus Skyline here. Palmer Ridge 
easily taking care of business 44 to 7 Derek Hester 8 of 13 113 yards no touchdowns but did no passing touchdowns but did throw one interception uh, on the ground though 71 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns then we have Gator Robinson 136 rushing yards two rushing touchdowns and Orlando Aranda 62 yards and one rushing touchdown as this Palmer Ridge rushing game was doing all the right things against Skyline to move on to the next round speaking of the next round here uh, we got Fruita Monument versus Vista Ridge the winner of this one would play Palmer Ridge in the next one and Vista Ridge came out hot I'm not even gonna lie I'm gonna give them a lot of credit here as I did predict them losing but Vista Ridge wins big 56 to 20 uh, Fruita Monument I'm not even gonna lie just had a horrible time on defense haven't really seen them play that bad in a while but they did and you know like I said, credit to Vista Ridge. They came ready to play at home. Braden Dorman, 14 of 22. 236 passing yards, three touchdowns. Uh, also had a rushing touchdown. Keyshawn Dooley was the lead receiver here. Seven receptions, 134 receiving yards, three receiving touchdowns in this one. And then Vista Ridge, as a group, had five different players score rushing touchdown. This through the Monument defense, like I said, just playing uncharacteristically bad here. Um, they have not played this bad in two seasons, I want to say. So there you go. Actually, the only other time they lost this bad uh, with a really similar score was to Erie, who beat them like 56 to 20 as well last year in the playoffs and as you know Erie went on to go to state so not saying Vista Ridge is going to state but just putting out that premonition um that sign I guess I don't think that's a premonition but whatever and then the last playoff game we got here or the second to last playoff game we got here is Broomfield versus Windsor uh watch the first half of this game and this one was just not close at all. By the way, I watched uh, most of that Vista Ridge game as well until the stream died. But anyways, in this Broomfield versus Windsor game, Broomfield, they just went up big immediately. And they would win 42-0 at the end here. Uh, just not really a close game at all. Cola Crew, 13 of 19, 260 passing yards. Three touchdowns to two picks here. A little sloppy, but that's okay. Still one. He had 31 rushing yards and rushing touchdown. Uh, Brent Harris, playmaker of the week candidate. Six tackles, two picks in this one as Broomfield wins pretty easily. 42-0. Moving on to the next round. Okay, and then here is the last 4A playoff game. I'm going to talk about Montrose versus Golden. No stream, no score tracker, nothing. What I got was from an article that Chasa put out, plus information I've gathered from some of my sources here as well. But apparently Golden would go up 30-27 to here in the third quarter after a Trey Abrams receiving touchdown from Giselle Riley here. And then would go up by more when Riley found Kalen Huford for a receiving touchdown. And then Luke Chevalier would run in from 15 yards out to go ahead and put up Golden 43-27 to over Montrose. By the way, they're in Montrose, which is tough to do, but they go up 43-27 to with about seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. Montrose, historically, um, running team, you know, not really a passing team, and so for them to be in this situation, it looks like the game is over. But Montrose would not give up at home here. They would go ahead and put together a nice long drive that would end with a short Tory Ackerman touchdown that would cut into the lead. 
then after that, Montrose plays good defense. Uh, I would assume forces a three and out on Golden and would go ahead and get the ball back. And with the ball back, Gage Wareham would complete a 61-yard touchdown pass to Zimmer, making it a 43-29 game with three minutes left. I don't know how you allow a touchdown pass, uh, uh, that long of a touchdown pass from Montrose, but obviously there must have been some sort of miscommunication on defense. I know Montrose, they have a couple pass plays, uh, not a lot. They have maybe like three, but you should be ready for them, and it just looks like Golden wasn't ready. Either that or they just got burnt straight up. Either way, not a good look for Golden here as... Uh, it is a 43-39 to 39 game here with three minutes left. And then this is when Montrose would go ahead and kick an onside kick. And this is where controversy would happen. I saw multiple videos of the onside kick here because, like I said, it wasn't streamed for some reason. And it was... It looks a lot like it was touched before it reached 10 yards. In fact, it looks like it was touched at the 6 or 7 yard line uh, because the ball was bouncing and then it suddenly bounces a different way, uh, moving differently as it looks like it hits someone's calf here. And so, and it was crowded too. Like there were like four or five Montrose players there that were kind of crowding this football. And it looks like the football definitely touched at least one of them early before it went 10 yards. I'm also going to say I showed the same clip to my co-host here and intern Cody and Gideon. And they agreed that it definitely touched somebody before going the full 10 yards. And so a controversial play here. But the refs go ahead and rule it Montrose football after, like I said, it definitely did not go the distance for them to recover it. So there you go. But look here at this point, you still got three minutes. If you're golden, you're still winning 43 to 39. Montrose literally has to drive down the field and score a touchdown for them to beat you. But I don't know. If Golden was just in their heads, but Montrose would go ahead and do pretty much exactly that. Drive all the way down here, and they would just barely be able to score here. Blake Griffin scoring this touchdown from four yards out. Uh, and then Gage Wareham getting the rushing touch, or I guess rushing conversion here. Uh, the two-point conversion to make it a 47-43 to game. Doing this with about 13 seconds left. And that would basically be it. Golden obviously not able to put together a Hail Mary. And so Montrose defeats Golden on the backs of some controversy here. 47 to 43 here. And so, uh, look, knowing Chasa, they're not going to review this play. They're not going to overturn this play. And they're not going to let them replay it. That's stupid. I mean, that's just not something that they're going to ever do. But it's definitely a missed call by the refs and a tough one. But... Honestly, if you're golden, you really have no room to complain. You are up 43 to 27 on a running team with seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. Literally, this team pretty much only runs the ball. And so if they run it, they got to run out of bounds and run it outside to stop the clock. And if you're just letting them run outside, then that's on you. Or if you, I don't know. So I don't really have, you know, too much sympathy for Golden. That's a blown lead. You are up by 16 points to a running team. 
with seven minutes left here. Also on offense, you could have scored another touchdown too if you wanted to and put this thing away and not go three and out. So there you go as well. Like I said, if you're golden, I just don't have a lot of sympathy for you. This is a blown game. I mean, it looks like a meltdown for all I know here in the fourth quarter. The defense is not playing well offensively. You're not running out enough of the clock, obviously, because they still had a whole three minutes to score on that last touchdown drive. So obviously you didn't do a good job on offense either. So there you go there. I mean... Like I said, a blown call here, but it takes a lot to lose to a running team when you have a 16-point lead here in the fourth quarter. Um, obviously, that 61-yard touchdown play, that's tough, but also, literally, Monchos has maybe three or four passing plays in their playbook, so... Like I said, not a lot of sympathy. Obviously, I feel sorry for some of the seniors whose season ended that way, but it is what it is. You have to take control of the game and play a full four quarters. You can't let off the gas at all. Um, and they just didn't do enough of that because if you did, you would have won. And so Montrose, they take control of this game. They make the most of their opportunities and they win 47 to 43 to move on to the next round and play Loveland. So, yeah. All right, let's recap some of these 5A playoff games real quick here. Starting with Regis Jesuit versus Foster Ridge. This was not even a close game. Regis was up 42-14 at halftime. Andrew Metziger had three receiving touchdowns in this one. Uh, Regis Jesuit would defeat Foster Ridge 63-28 to here. Uh, Tyler Kubat did throw four touchdowns uh, to only one interception in this one. 19-32 of 32. For 306 passing yards, but like I said, just not quite enough there for Fossil Ridge to move on. And so Regis Jesuit with a 63-28 to dub moves on to the next round. Then we got Ralston Valley versus Chatfield. Uh, Ralston Valley pretty much takes care of business really well here. 22-7 to here. Uh, the score looks closer than what it is, in my opinion. But Ralston Valley just did a good job putting this one away here. Logan Madden, 10 of 17, 134 passing yards. One rushing touchdown here. Um, one passing touchdown as well. Diano Bonallo, 24 carries, 162 rushing yards, one rushing touchdown. Jackson Hansen, six receptions, 92 receiving yards, one receiving touchdown. Valor Christian versus Legend here. Uh, Legend, just, I don't know what was going on there. Definitely heard reports that they were going with their sophomore quarterback, Nick Fairley, who has started the last couple games in the place of their injured senior quarterback, John Brookhart here. From what my sources told me before this game, Brookhart was not ready to play, and so it was definitely expected that Fairley would be the guy. Well, come playoff time, uh, they went with John here, who started. Brookhart would start here, and from what I have heard, it looked like he was definitely hurt, was not able to complete many passes past 20, and then they would try to put in Nick Fairley, run some sort of two-quarterback system, but obviously it did not work out uh, here, and so Valor Christian figured that out, and you know, because of the dysfunction in this legend passing game, we're able to shut down the run pretty well here, so legend could not even have that either, and so Valor actually wins big here, 42-14 to 14 here, um, 
yeah, just not super close here. Asher Weiner, 9 of 14, 173 passing yards, three passing touchdowns to one interception here. I uh, believe he also had 27 rushing yards. On the ground, Valor Christian was able to run the ball relatively well here with a couple different guys. Jake Kreckler, uh, six rushes, 90 yards. Trey Stott, six rushes as well, 44 yards, one touchdown. Roman Bradley had nine, 52 yards and a touchdown. Greg McDonald, four carries, 40 yards and a touchdown here. I mean, Valor Christian was really able to run the ball here well i mean they had five different players with at least six carries and they ran for 286 rushing yards and three rushing touchdowns as a group uh, jay crackler by the way also had three receptions 81 rushing or 81 receiving yards and two receiving touchdowns there for legend i mean their best playmakers were the running backs so there you go there alex martinez had 13 carries but only 28 yards had four receptions 28 yards and a receiving touchdown though Riken banks three receptions 45 receiving yards and one receiving touchdowns and that's basically it for legend just not a lot going there brookhart did throw those two touchdowns but it kind of looks like there are screens or really short throws there uh usually that's what legend calls for the running backs i'm I don't think they're going to call uh, some big time wheel route or something crazy like that. Um, but like I said, just a lot of indecisiveness at quarterback here. At least it, it looks that way when I hear that, you know, Fairley is going to start and then Brookhart is not ready. And then Brookhart starts and he obviously looks hurt uh, or at least not 100%. And then, you know, they try to put Fairley in. And so it looks like indecisiveness to me. You can't win in the playoffs that way. That is just, I mean, that's just life, you know? You gotta be decisive. Now, for Legend, I am gonna, you know, go ahead and acknowledge this. Hey, you surpassed my expectations. I'm not gonna apologize because I literally did not know what you had to offer before the season because nobody had varsity experience, which at the end of the day matters more than, you know, what they did outside of outside of varsity, to be honest with you. Plus, there wasn't much film there. And so, you know, regardless, I was wrong. Credit to Legend. They had a good season. But I am gonna say this. This stat was given to me. Uh, actually, it was in the Denver Post here. And so before this game, Legend, the last three seasons against top five seeds here in 5A, obviously, have been outscored 129 to 21. 129 to 21, the last three seasons against top five seeds. Uh, including this game, it is now, they have been outscored 171 to 35. I, would it be the last four seasons now? So, against top five opponents. Not a great look. I mean, Legend, they're a good program. They're going to beat, you know, teams that are obviously worse than them and all that. They'll be competitive. But eventually, you got to win in the playoffs. Eventually, you got to win in the playoffs. I know this was a younger team. But the talents there, if you're a great to amazing coach you find a way to get it done if you have that talent and they did and i don't feel like there was that big of a difference between legends talent and valor's talent at this point with valor it kind of feels a little bit more of a cultural thing giving them the edge are they really that good no have they historically be good yes that's going to intimidate a lot of squads so there you go but 
Valor Christian continues to move on. Makes a point, though. Still wins. That's what matters. So you're winning in the playoffs. And they move on to the next round. So there you go. All right, Columbine versus Rock Canyon here. Uh, this was a close one, actually. Um, as expected, I mean, both of them play similar brands of football here. Columbine obviously doing it longer and at a, I guess, more successful rate because they've been doing it longer. So there you go. That's not a dig at Rock Canyon. But Rock Canyon would actually go up 17-7 to uh, at halftime. Could have been more. They had a field goal from the 20-yard line, and they missed that one. Could have been up 20-7, to but it is what it is. They're up 17-7, to though. Columbine, though, in the second half, would climb back with a 25-yard field goal and then a 50-yard Josh Snyder rushing touchdown to tie it up in the fourth quarter. Then Columbine would recover an aid and do to fumble and eventually score off of that with a Mark Kane Taylor rushing touchdown to take the 24 to 17 lead with six minutes left in the fourth. Uh, Rock Canyon, they would try to drive here, but Cannon Burkar would go ahead and get a game ceiling interception to win this one for Columbine. And so Columbine wins 24 to 17 here over Rock Canyon. Rock Canyon not being able to score at all in the second half here um Markane taylor 23 carries 170 rushing yards two rushing touchdowns playmaker of the week candidate here josh snyder 15 carries 138 rushing yards one rushing touchdown uh peyton wainwright nine tackles one interception one fumble recovery here in this one there were some concerns about aiden duda being able to run all over the columbine defense that definitely did not happen. They shut him down for only 12 carries, 16 rushing yards. Did have three receptions, 12 receiving yards, and a receiving touchdown. DeAndre Horn here uh, in this game would come up big for Rock Canyon here, scoring a receiving touchdown. Uh, but he had six receptions, 117 receiving yards, and a receiving touchdown. Obviously all in the first half here. Well, I should say all the touchdowns. For Rock Canyon were scored in the first half. A lot of that. And so Rock Canyon just not really able to run the ball as well as they could have here. Um, did had, you know, they had to result to the passing game, which is not really what they do. They don't really practice that uh, a whole ton. And, you know, they just didn't do well. And Columbine, you know, played great defense, stuck to the plan. 124 to 17. They're moving on to the next round. So what more could you want there? So, yeah. Grandview versus Rocky Mountain. Let's talk about that matchup. Uh, Liam Zarka would throw two touchdowns, one to Zay Nito, the other one to Davion Henderson, to go up 14-0 here in the first quarter. Then in the second quarter, he would throw two interceptions uh, right before exiting the game here. And then Grandview with their backup quarterback would throw another interception before going into the half here grandview leading 14 to 0 over rocky mountain now grandview would not score another touchdown on offense here but neither would rocky mountain this grandview defense came to play here and shut down this rocky mountain team who did come close a couple of times putting together some solid drives but at the end grandview stood strong here uh, actually grandview's luke uh trinred i want to say would get a 95 yard pick six that was a backbreaker with four minutes left in the fourth quarter to end this game and make it a 20-0 dub for Grandview. Grandview defeating Rocky Mountain 20-0, moving on to the next round. 
but at what cost did look at the score tracker here uh, on max preps and whatnot and it looked like Liam Zarka had to leave the game and go to the hospital here with a fractured finger it the description said it was an open fracture that does not make sense unless uh unless a the hand was literally cut open uh, in this football game, which I don't know how that would happen, but I guess it could. But regardless, Liam Zarka did go out with an injury here. I would not be surprised if he plays in this next playoff game, but I don't know where he would be at considering he does have a fractured finger and how well he could possibly throw the ball and all that stuff. And so... But there you go. Uh, by the way, that stuff was on the Max Preps recap. So I'm not like ratting out any sources here. That's what it said on the recap here. And so we'll see. Uh, I would just consider Liam Zarka questionable, but definitely some questions here. We saw how this Grandview offense struggled against Rocky Mountains defense, who, no offense to them, but aren't exactly a top tier defense when it comes to playoff teams, that is. So. There you go there. Just keep an eye on that situation. Okay, Pine Creek versus Legacy. The winner would play Grandview here. Uh, this is how it went down. A Mason Miller interception at the 7-minute mark would give Pine Creek a chance to take the lead in this game, which they do with a field goal. And so there you go. They take a 3-point lead. Then Mason Miller would get another interception, I believe, which would end up setting up another field goal that would seal it as Pine Creek would take the 6-point lead. Legacy only trailing by 6 here in the 4th quarter would try to put together a drive, but Jerry Lydiot would recover a fumble to go ahead and seal this game here. And just like that, Pine Creek wins a thriller. 34 to 24 over Legacy at home here. The defense for Pine Creek really stepping up up in this one cam cooper though played a solid game 6 of 16 130 passing yards two passing touchdowns no turnovers did have 15 rushing yards as well mason miller uh definitely playmaker uh of the game here for pine creek he had 74 rushing yards 22 receiving yards four tackles and those two key interceptions in this game that would give pine creek a chance to go ahead and win this one and so there you go pine creek would move on and they will face grandview in the next round mason miller a playmaker of the week candidate so there you go and then last but not least here before i hand it off to cody we got cherry creek versus fountain for carson I mean, Cherry Creek, they went ahead and took care of business and won 42-6 to here. Fountain Fort Carson, the only touchdown they would have is with Tavion Tully here. But other than that, Cherry Creek, like I said, takes care of business. We'll move on to the next round and play the winner of Thunder Ridge versus Arapahoe, which Cody was at. And I will go ahead and throw it to him and he will recap that game. Hey, 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 it is Cody Stoffer here with Playmakers Corner, and I am going to be recapping the Thunder Ridge versus Arapo High School game. Arapo being the 8th seed, Thunder Ridge being the 9th seed. This game took place on Friday night at 7 p.m. over at Halftime Help Stadium, and boy, was it a good one. And it had to be because, oh my gosh, it was freezing out there. My hands were turning purple by the end of this game, but nonetheless, the players even more so toughed it out just as much as I did. But Thunder Ridge, they start this game with the ball and come out swinging as DJ Bordeaux finds number 13, CJ Reese, down the right sideline, who makes a spectacular grab in double coverage to get to the other side of midfield. 
Thunder Ridge not playing games, trying to establish that confidence early and show the Arapaho defense that they came to play. Now, they they come out here and DJ finds Okuno for a first down. And then there's a 30-yard rushing touchdown by Cole Hanchett. But this unfortunately gets called back for a holding penalty and sets them up on first and 17 on the 37-yard line. They throw a quick screen to CJ Reese, and then a run play puts the Grizzlies at third and seven when there's a connection on a deep out route for a first down. On the following play, DJ tucks and runs for seven yards, and on the play after that, finds Richard Okuno for a first down. Once inside the 10-yard line, the creativity goes out the window when the Grizzlies run the ball twice and then call a play action that is hilariously snuffed out by the Warriors, forcing Thunder Ridge to take a field goal here and go up 3 to nothing with 4 minutes and 40 seconds in the first. Now, Arapo, they get a great start on their own 42-yard line, and though the first run is swallowed up by Thunder Ridge, they get rolling here. Alonzo Ramirez on the first four runs picks up two first downs here and is just clicking here. They try to mix it up with a couple of passes that fall incomplete before on third and ten, Michael Moynihan tucks and runs for eight yards, putting the Warriors in a fourth and two situation just outside of the 30. They go for it, and Alonzo Ramirez powers ahead for another first down. Ramirez would then continue to get carries before getting Arapo all the way to the one-yard line, setting up second and goal from the one to start the second quarter, down 3-0. However, on the next play, on the first play, I should say, of the second quarter, they run a QB sneak and go up 7-3. Now the Grizzlies, with the ball on their own 45 to start, run a screen for a few yards, and then get Arapo to jump offside, setting up first down and 10 on the opposing 45-yard line. On first down, there's a quick flat for a few, and then a run that sets up third and four from the 39-yard line. On this play, freshman quarterback DJ Bordeaux drops back and hits number one Richard Okuno deep over the top, who falls into the end zone for the score. This is not the last that you will hear of this connection of the night, but it is the one and only missed PAT of the night, making Thunder Ridge lead this game 9-7. to Now, the Warriors with the ball start kind of deep in their own territory from the 15-yard line. They come out with a run, but then the real surprise is the play-action left where Mikey Moynihan dots up number 86, Cade Krominski, who rumbles all the way to the 45-yard line before two Grizzly defenders knock him out of bounds. After an Alonzo Ramirez run for six, an I-form triple option goes wrong as the quarterback and fullback are on different pages, and it results in Thunder Ridge ball on the 48-yard line going in. On the opening play of this drive, Hansha and the Grizzly line gash the Warrior defense for an 8-yard gain, and then a play-action quick hitter to number 6 picks up a first down. The next play sees an overthrow hit the turf before a smoke route to Frank Wamont makes some defenders miss and pick up a first down. The Grizzlies on the 24-yard line roll out right, where Bordeaux comes back to Richard Okuno, who makes a catch and falls forward across the goal line for their second score of the night, putting the Grizzlies up 16-3 with around three minutes in the half. Now, Rappo comes out fast, picking up a big gain past the 40, then has two quick runs and a bit of a hurry-up of succession to get downfield before Alonzo Ramirez makes a guy miss in the backfield and moves the chains on this drive, trying to score here. Monaghan, he gets flushed out of the pocket on the next play and gets out of bounds for no gain. But then a great IQ play and discipline play by the Grizzly defense forces a screen pass into the dirt for third and 10 
On third and 10, Moynihan gains a couple yards, but eventually the Thunder Ridge defense would force a turnover on downs. Now Thunder Ridge with the ball, they get stuffed, have an overthrow, and then have a screen blown up uh, with the Warriors defense trying to give their offense one last chance before the half and are successful forcing a quick three and out with great pressure and movement up front. Now Rappo with the ball on their own 36, they continue to run the ball and then they throw it out of bounds before a screen to Charlie Eckhart sets up fourth and short with just under two minutes in the half. Alonzo Ramirez gains a first down but is not successful not as successful on the next play um, as he's swallowed up by the Grizzly defense. Monahan takes a deep shot that is broken up, and on third down, the Grizzlies sack Monahan, but not without a little grab of the face mask that would give Arapo new life on this drive. Monahan, he runs for a first down, and then with under a minute, rolls out right to find number 17 at the 17-yard line. The next play, the pass would sail out of bounds with 30-ish seconds left, and then right before half, Moynihan would float a pass down the right sideline and be caught in the end zone by Charlie Eckhart, who's doing his thing. He's one of the really great talents in the junior class of receivers for sure. And he does exactly what, you know, he's expected to do here for this A-Rap defense or offense, making that play in one-on-one -on -one coverage and making it 14 to 16 just before half. Now, Thunder Ridge, they still have a chance to drive down the field, but on the opening play, they would try one pass play. Bordeaux makes a couple of guys miss, but still ends up in a sack started by number 39 of Arapo, Cade Huggins, that would put the half to bed. Now, to start the second half, if you recall, Thunder Ridge chose to receive, so Arapo gets the ball here, and they come out much like they did on their very first drive of the game, getting a few runs in a row in hopes of setting up a play-action shot down the seam that almost works as it hits the receiver's fingertips. So they persevere on the next play. Mikey Moynihan falls backwards and shrugs off a few almost sacks and rolls right off his back foot, finding his guy for a first down. The Warriors take a deep shot on the next play that is broken up and go with a jet sweep following that. Now in a third and eight hole, they draw Thunder Ridge offsides for a more manageable third down. But despite the more manageable setup, Arapo turns the football over when the senior for Thunder Ridge, Jake Young, gets the interception and takes it to the other side of midfield. Now, Thunder Ridge, with seven and a half minutes in the game, has great field position and arguably a chance to stomp out any chances that the Warriors have and come out with a rollout left that gets flagged for P.I. and then a handoff to Cole Hanchett, who gets them all the way inside the five-yard line. The Grizzlies don't seem to really want to pull ahead by two scores this early, though, as they proceed to call four consecutive run plays in a row getting stuffed each time, whether it was the tailback twice in a row, or the fullback, or the quarterback sneak, and they turn over on downs inside the five-yard line. I was a bit beside myself. I had to message my other comrades here at the podcast and let them know, wow, Thunder Ridge really called four consecutive run plays and got stuffed four consecutive times in a row to turn over on downs. So that is now... You know, you include the field goal from earlier, but as far as touchdown trips, once inside the 10-yard line, not any luck for the Grizzlies so far in this game here. But I do have to give credit where credit is due. Despite the somewhat smooth-brained play calling, the Arapaho defense does step up here with a handful of guys making huge plays. On the first down play, you have Wyatt Starbuck in the backfield there with Liam Roby. And then on second down, you have the catalyst of number one, number 36, number four, number 55, and 
number 39, all blowing up this play. That is Will Knox. That is Dylan Juarez. That is 55, who's MJ Adolph, and 39, who is Cade Huggins, all in the backfield on that second play. On third down, number 97 and number 8, Charlie Eckhart, are on the case here. And then lastly, number 29, Michael Autry, dives into the gap between the guard and the center and gets a hold of the quarterback's ankle on the QB sneak to complete the goal line stop. And so Rapaho with their backs against the wall in under five minutes in the third, get a fullback dive for some breathing room and succeed. They try a play action pass to Charlie Eckhart, but number eight, Alexander Cambesis makes a fantastic deflection in one-on-one -on -one coverage to force an Arapaho punt. Now on this punt, they are punting from their six yard line. The punter just barely has his heels in front of the back of the end zone. And this snap comes in really high, but shout out to the punter here who makes an incredible one-handed grab and gets the punt off without allowing a safety. Now, Coach V, he always gives me a little bit of flack for not respecting uh, special teamers all the time, but this play by the punter gave Arapaho a chance, you know, multiple times at looking throughout this game because two points here and then followed by Thunder Ridge potentially scoring a touchdown, a little nine-point swing in what was a two-point game might, I mean, I don't think Arapaho would have really had any chance whatsoever uh, versus how close they do eventually get in this game. So moving along here, Thunder Ridge, they have the ball on the 20-yard line following a nice return by Okuno. They get a handoff to Hanchett, who gets them to around the 10, and then gets them inside the 10 on the following play. The Grizzlies now have the ball around the 7 or 6-yard line and send the slot receiver Richard Okuno in motion from right to left. And on the snap, Bordeaux looks right in CJ Reese's direction, doesn't like what he sees, slides right, and then guns in one of the toughest passes I have seen this season in triple coverage in the back of the end zone and in the only place the ball could go to... You guessed it, Richard Acuna with his third receiving touchdown in this game on an absolute rope to have the Grizzlies take a more commanding 23-14 lead with under two minutes left in the third quarter here. Now, Arapo, they have the ball on the 20-yard line, and they're needing to, you know, close the two-score gap. They come out, they gain a first down, then have a handoff for about eight yards, and on second and two, the Warriors come out and play a with a reverse flea flicker that lands in the hands of number four, Dylan Juarez, to take the Warriors to the 21-yard line for a massive 40-yard gain. They are now in their bag of tricks, and they are looking to close this gap. The quarter ends shortly after, and the Warriors have a run and then a sweet slant to Eckhart for a first, but a penalty brings that right back. A play-action pass goes a little too far with Moynihan under extreme duress, and then a Ramirez handoff sets the ball just short of the chains. On third down, the Warriors try to get tricky again with a handoff to Charlie Eckhart, who laterals to Schmeling, who I think is supposed to look to Mikey Moynihan. But Mikey here on the jet sweep handoff and his, you know, play-action rollout that he has gets tackled by Caden Schaus, um, who assumes that there is a play action here and the play falls apart bringing out the field goal unit now on the field goal here the grizzlies make a big stop here and actually block this field goal attempt and you know take a huge swing of momentum with them here now with the ball in the own 20 yard line they get hansha a six yard gain and then two more but a delay of game on third and two trying to get a rapo to jump makes it third and seven and a pass hits the turf and the Warriors successfully force a three and out 
and have the ball with 7 minutes and 47 seconds in the game. They receive the punt on the 49-yard line and start with a run before hitting Schmeling on a swing route who turns up for a first down and some more. A pass hits the turf on first down, but then with the pocket collapse and Moynihan dots up Eckhart over the middle on an in route for the first down and the Warriors are in a good spot inside the 25-yard line. Two pass attempts to Eckhart leaves him gassed for third down where the Warriors roll out left and Moynihan is just not able to quite squeeze it into the tight window of Schmeling by the pylon and forces Arapo to take three points, making it a 23-17 game here. Thunder Ridge on the ensuing drive have a jet sweep to Richard Orcuno who picks up seven yards and then an off tackle to Hanjit who picks up a few a first down and appear to be in clock-consuming mode. They're on a roll here. On first down, Hancha has a few more yards. But on second down, number 26 and 29 of Arapo, Wyatt Starbuck and Michael Autry fill quickly, forcing third and five. A screen to number three picks up a first down and gives Thunder Ridge the ball on the 45-yard line with three minutes and 33 seconds to go. On first down, three Warriors consisting of MJ Adolph, Will Knox, and Tommy Whitehouse swallow up the run. On second and 10, a play-action screen allows Okuno to pick up around 5 yards as he fights to stay in bounds. But it is third and 7 with 3 minutes and 14 to go. And the Grizzlies roll out right and a few things go wrong on this play. First off, the receiver number 8 gets tossed off his route by Wyatt Starbuck who is honestly put himself on our radar very solidly here. I wouldn't be surprised if he could potentially be an all-conference selection at his spot here he played phenomenally for the Warriors tonight and he screws up like the rhythm and timing of this play by throwing number eight off of his route forcing him to go outside and just makes it really cramped by the sideline here but then even worse the quarterback here for Thunder Ridge DJ tries to force a pass way down the field into double coverage where safety Joshua Acker makes a nice grab and returns it all the way to midfield giving the Warriors offense a chance to tie or take the lead Arapo is feeling it, quickly gaining a first down to the 38-yard line before chaining another one with Moynihan's pass to Schmeling that ends at the 17-yard line. Now, inside the 20 and not having a lot of timeouts, the Warriors are confident and they have a handoff to Alonzo Ramirez who gains a couple of yards. We are under two minutes left in this game and the Warriors call a pass play where Moynihan, he pump fakes and steps up in the pocket buying him some time. But as he loads up to pass, the defender who got pumped fake makes the most clutch play of this game. Number 91, Sean Groh, who reaches out his paw and knocks the football out of Moynihan's hand where it rolls forward and is recovered by Aiden Olshin to all but seal Thunder Ridge's advance in the postseason. Thunder Ridge, they still need one first down to make this thing official. They run the ball a couple times, setting up third and one with 49 seconds left. And on this play, number 65 and number five, I believe five is Caden Schaus here. They make incredible down blocks and the fullback number 42 opens up a perfect lane that Hanchett hits full steam ahead, shedding a couple tackles and putting the nail in the coffin, advancing Thunder Ridge to the next round and sending Arapahoe home. So, let's go ahead and talk takeaways in this game. In the freezing cold, going to talk Thunder Ridge here. Thunder Ridge, the Thunder Ridge offense was balanced and made plays when they needed to. As a whole, the team would pick up when one side of the ball was lacking for a fantastic team win. Richard Acuno had his best game of the season on the biggest stage, catching all of the touchdowns, 
all of the touchdowns and looking to be a reliable security blanket for the freshman DJ Bordeaux as he tallied seven receptions for 79 yards and three scores. Not to say that the young Bordeaux has tunnel vision, though, since he completed passes to seven different receivers and looked surgical on downfield throws. When you combine that with an offensive line that held their own against one of the better defenses in the state, that is a quality win. The interception at the end was a little concerning in how it really breathed a whole lot of life into the Arapaho defense, but or into the Rappo squad, I should say, but the Thunder Ridge defense that has been a force of nature all year held it down this game, forcing three turnovers and blocking a field goal. Once again, major, major props to Bordeaux, Ukuno, and company on that TR line, opening holes for Haddenshit to punish defenders. But this defense that saw fumble recoveries by Will Fisher, Aiden Olshin, Olshin, by the way, having 10 tackles on the night, Six hurries from Caden Schaus alone, a blocked field goal by Caleb Keith, and most of all, Sean Groh, who had, you know, mostly a quiet night and a solid enough season, made his biggest play all year on the biggest stage with his strip sack to snuff out any chance of an AHS comeback, and the Grizzlies will be playing Creek in the upcoming round and should produce the first of many showdowns between class of 26 QBs in Brady Vodka and DJ Bordeaux. Now, as for my alma mater, who a lot of people probably don't even think that I graduated from Arapaho with how harsh I am on them, but I'm harsh because, uh, I mean, Arapaho, they just could not repeat their success against Thunder Ridge this season, and I think that from an outside perspective, arrogance kind of bites the Warriors in the butt here. They originally scheduled the game at LPS on Saturday, and I'm not sure if there is a conflict of some other event or if Arapaho thought they could win on the road listed as the home team so that they could host Creek in the next round, but that's kind of what it felt like. They overlooked a team with a freshman QB who they had beaten twice last year and thought the result could be the same. I have no idea how, but for a decade through four different coaches since I was a freshman, not to mention three in the last three years, the Warriors somehow run the exact same vanilla I-form offense. From a choosing school perspective, QBs don't want to go to Arapaho. They're not going to run this offense. They're going to just continue to run the ball, and then they get so surprised when they lose. As an alumni, I want to see my alma mater win state. Last year, injuries ruined that, and this year felt like not it wasn't injuries it felt just like the same old story for the warriors that just become harder and harder to watch each year as it feels like the same old thing there's nothing new there's nothing refreshing they ran a couple of trick plays which is cool and all but i don't know i just feel like they don't really set up their offenses to be balanced and versatile this far in the season and mikey moynihan you know he's still uh, he had his struggles throughout the night but i still think that he had a solid enough night he completed passes when he needed to he bought a lot of time behind this offensive line that you know i thought played pretty solid against a good thunder ridge defense but i don't know hopefully coach brayton sticks around so this program can experience some stability that has been missing since coach campbell who is a rapo for double digit years uh has departed and establish a culture that's not complacent with coming up short there's plenty of returning talent for this rapo team next year i feel bad for the seniors who continue to run into the meat grinder of what it means to be a warrior but with key pieces like acker Eckhart, wyatt starbuck and will knox coming back to the defense and mikey moynihan under center maybe they could do more than be a first round exit team but for now that is the conclusion of ahs's season 
and you know wish that you know they have a really nice hardworking offseason and like I said I do want to see them succeed I'm harsh because it's like tough love from somebody who was inside the program before um, so hopefully the offense can just be a little bit more exciting than it has been for the past decade and as for Thunder Ridge best of luck as they will face Cherry Creek next week all right so there you go those are all of your re recaps from this last weekend of playoff games we'll be on more this following week here uh gideon wasn't feeling as great so he wasn't able to make it to many but was able to watch some of them which uh he did help with some of these recaps here so just wanted to throw that out there but let's go ahead and move on to our playmakers of the week once again brought to you by code red coaching where the grind to greatness starts in the mind if you want to find out more go ahead and call 720-979-1914 or visit coderedcoaching.com uh, once again that's either 720-979-1914 or visit coderedcoaching.com today by the way whenever we do post the graphic of all of our playmakers of the week we always tag them on Instagram. And so if you want to check out their Instagram account, uh, go ahead. It'll be tagged. So yeah, but let's go ahead and hop into this thing. Let's start on the 1A level and then we'll work up classification by classification. But we definitely have a couple here, uh, starting with Colorado Springs Christian. Definitely a number of players who contributed to this dub. But the candidate from that game has to be Jace Velasquez, the quarterback for Colorado Springs Christian, the sophomore quarterback, by the way. He went 15 of 21 for 339 passing yards, three passing touchdowns. So that four carries, 10 yards and a rushing touchdown here as he was very key in this upset dub. So there you go. For the Centauri Strasburg game, Zach Morero is a playmaker of the week candidate. 21 or 23 carries, 263 rushing yards, five rushing touchdowns. Absolutely going off in that one. Uh, in the Monta Vista lineman one, didn't really pick one. There are a lot of players who did well, but Logan Botier, he had nine carries, 143 rushing yards, three rushing touchdowns. So if any, he would have been one. And then in the Ray versus Wiggins game here, Samuel Meisner, definitely a candidate with his 20 carries, 89 rushing yards, three rushing touchdowns, and 14 tackles on defense as well. I'm pretty sure he led his team in tackles there. But your 1A week 13, I believe playmaker of the week here in the playoffs has to be the sophomore quarterback out of Colorado Springs Christian Jace Velasquez uh, look he played very very composed here made a lot of the right decisions was super sharp there were barely any plays that were wasted plays here just very intentional and did a good job not only managing this game but taking over the game when it came down to it making some great throws deep and whatnot to his weapons and so definitely gotta give him some credit there uh, balling out against a very talented Yuma defense so there you go that's your 1A playmaker of the week let's move up to 2A here uh, really only got three candidates here as well from the TCA University game uh, a lot of guys to pick from here like I said if I could pick a whole unit to be playmaker of the week it would be the TCA offensive line but for now would have to settle with Ethan Aragundi in this game he had 29 carries 131 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns uh, did his thing there was pretty much unguardable this entire game so there you go 
in the Alamosa Delta game, we got another familiar face here as a candidate, and that's Connor Workman, once again going crazy. 20 carries, 167 rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns, and that's only on offense, on defense. Also had six tackles and a sack. And then the last candidate here from the Basalt Eden game is Walker Martin. Had a perfect game, 6 for 6 for 157 passing yards. Three different passing touchdowns to three different receivers and one rushing touchdown as Eden just got out to a very fast start in that game to beat a talented Basalt team. Um, no one from the Rifle versus Montezuma Cortez game, just they didn't upload their stats and there's no recap of it, so I don't know who scored uh, specifically and what happened. And so we have the three here. And I'm going to have to go ahead and go with Walker Martin here. I feel like in past weeks, especially this season, he's definitely been in consideration, but hasn't quite gotten it. This week is his week. He is your week 13, two-way playmaker of the week. I mean, going perfect here and just getting this Eden offense going to start this game and really to end this game because Basalt wasn't quite able to recover from it is a uh, big time. And it's in the playoffs. It's against a talented team and Basalt who aren't pushover at all and so there you go walker martin is your week 13 to a playmaker of the week now let's go ahead and go over to 3a there's a couple guys here i do want to say nobody has put in stats yet for the george washington holy family game so can't really have a candidate from that one but do have a couple players to pick from here a lot starting with frederick versus summit here river lakey is the playmaker of the week candidate he went for 155 rushing yards four rushing touchdowns this was technically an upset win as well so that's big time uh in that roosevelt versus discovery canyon game xavier ramirez, ramirez excuse me went crazy 12 carries 159 rushing yards five rushing touchdowns could have considered tucker peterson as well since he is the all-time receiving leader but he did not score five rushing touchdowns in this one so gotta go with him uh, Lutheran versus Pablo East didn't really pick one. I mean, that was one that was very much a team effort there. So there you go. Uh, Green Mountain versus Rez. Anthony DeGrazia, six carries, 78 rushing yards, three rushing touchdowns, and a blowout win there. In the Evergreen versus Thompson Valley game, obviously it would have to be Tommy Poholski. He threw two touchdown passes there. The only touchdown scored for Evergreen in that game. And so that is pretty big there. In the Northridge Palisade game, it has to be Malachi Espinosa for Palisade. I mean, Palisade as a team played excellent, but at the end of the day, it was Espinosa who scored those two touchdowns to go up 14-7 to on them. So there you go. Harrison versus Durango, a lot like the Lutheran Pueblo East conversation. I mean, just a lot of guys who contributed in, the, in that one. And then, like I said, G-Dub versus Holy Family, they haven't put in stats yet. But for this one, your Week 13 playmaker of the week for the 3A level has to be the standout running back for Frederick River Lakey here. Uh, hey, technically an upset here over Summit. It is an upset over Summit here, and he played excellent going for 155 rushing yards, four rushing touchdowns. I think that is enough, uh, more than enough, honestly. All right, let's move up to 4A here. Definitely got a couple guys here, starting with Blake Barnett. Um, he has been Playmaker of the Week multiple times and a candidate multiple times. This game had a passing touchdown and four rushing touchdowns in that upset over Denver South. 
then in Ponderosa versus Pueblo West. Uh, I had two guys to consider here, but we're going to go ahead and go with Max Mervin. Uh, I realize he did play quarterback against Bear Creek as well. I believe that was their last regular season game or one of their last regular season games. And then going into this game, I... Like I said, it looked like Stryker was going to play, but I guess he only had one play here. But Max Mervin took over and just did his thing. And, you know, he hasn't really played quarterback a whole ton. Also, he's a young guy, too, doing it. And so in his first start um, in the playoffs, doing that at quarterback, big time. You know, he won 12 of 22 for 114 passing yards, two passing touchdowns. Also had 29 rushing yards and a rushing touchdown. Gotta give him credit. He put Ponderosa on the board multiple times. Got this offense going while the defense would eventually close this game. So a lot of credit to Max Mervin there. Uh, now another playmaker of the week candidate. We got Zyrek Siegler from Heritage. 25 carries, 145 rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns in a big one as he powered this Heritage offense for the most part here. Uh, and then for Broomfield versus Windsor, we got Brett Harris, five tackles, two interceptions. That's big time in the playoffs. That obviously matters. But your week 13 for a playmaker of the week has to be Max Mervin out of Ponderosa. Actually talked with Cody and Gideon on this one, and we all decided to name Max Mervin the 4A Playmaker of the Week here. I mean, hey, it's the playoffs. You gotta win to survive by any means necessary, even if it means moving positions and whatnot. And being a young guy playing this position, and Max, he definitely uh, you know, stepped up here and did his thing at quarterback and helped Ponderosa get by Pueblo West. So, huge shout out to him let's go ahead and go up to 5a here and talk about a couple candidates i really only have three here uh, that i feel like was very obvious um first off we got Markane taylor from combine 23 carries 170 rushing yards two rushing touchdowns really helped put away rock canyon in that game so there you go um a lot of guys for Columbine could have been considered for that one. Just want to throw that out there. But Taylor here, he really helped uh, close this thing for Columbine. And so that's why I'm going to give him the candidacy there. Then in this Pine Creek Legacy game, Mason Miller, he had 74 rushing yards on offense, 22 receiving yards. But defense was where he made the biggest impact, specifically in the fourth quarter. Four tackles, two interceptions. Both those picks ended up going for scores that would give Pine Creek the lead over Legacy and move on into the next round of the playoffs. So definitely a big time uh, playmaker there. And then lastly, we got Thunder Ridge's senior receiver, Richard Okuno, seven receptions, 79 receiving yards, three receiving touchdowns. And he did it against an Arapaho team that was ranked above Thunder Ridge and whatnot. And he helped out his freshman quarterback ball out as well, making some great catches and some great plays all together. So there you go. Those are your three candidates. And so your week 13, 5A playmaker of the week this one was really tough here but we've decided to go with Richard Okuno from Thunder Ridge absolutely balled out in this game seemed like he was unguardable when Thunder Ridge needed a touchdown he gave you a touchdown as you can see that half of his receptions went for touchdowns roughly half so 
there you go. Uh, once again, your Week 13 Playmakers of the Week. Uh, in 5A, it's Thunder Ridge's senior receiver, Richard Okuno. In 4A, it's the sophomore receiver playing quarterback, Max Mervin of Ponderosa. In 3A, it is the standout running back from Frederick, River Lakey. In 2A, it is the Eden quarterback, Walker Martin. And then in 1A, it is the sophomore I believe Colorado Springs Christian quarterback, Jace Velasquez. All right, let's move on and let's talk about the second round of our playoff predictions here. Uh, basically a summary. So just for the listeners to remember, in case you didn't tune in to last week's episode, for each round of the playoffs, myself, Cody Stoffer, Gideon, we are going to predict every matchup here. We also made a bracket full of our predictions as well before the playoffs started i am not gonna go ahead and go through what those brackets look like now we'll do that at the end uh there's just too much to cover and a lot of percentages to cover as well and so we're just gonna talk about the predictions we've made week by week here some of the predictions that we make uh this week and in the following weeks will be different from the predictions we made in our bracket before the playoffs start as we get you know new information and all that and uh, we'll update you the listeners on some of that information and why we may be changing our picks but let's go ahead and review this thing here uh let's start with mine here so in my predictions in 1a i got two out of the four matchups right here i got the yuma matchup wrong i predicted yuma to be colorado springs christian and then i believe i got the ray versus wiggins one wrong that one was almost right but either way only 50% here. Oh, and by the way, each round is going to be worth different points. And so in round one, each correct matchup was worth one point. We tallied those up. In round two this week, uh, basically one through 5A here, each matchup correct will be two points, worth two points. And then next week, it will be four points per correct matchup, and then eight points, and so on and so on here. Uh, so just keep that in mind, and we uh, go went ahead and uh, added up all those points, and so the person with the most points at the end of the postseason wins, I guess. So there you go. But anyways, uh, back back to my prediction. So uh, round two in one a got half of them right, so only got four points there. In two a, I got three fourths of them right here. I think the one I got wrong was the Montezuma Cortez versus Rifle game. I picked Rifle. Uh, Montezuma Cortez won by 14 in that one. So it was still a close one. But 75% correct there. So I only get six points. In 3A, I got all the matchups except one of them right. And that was the Northridge versus Palisade game. And so I got seven out of eight, 87.5% correct. And so that's worth 14 points there, which I'm a little surprised by. 3A is really tough to predict even in the first round. So there you go there. Uh, in 4 here in the second round, I only got 5 out of 8, right? That's still worth 10 points, about 62.5%, not the worst there. And then in 5A, 8 for 8, baby, 100%, that is 16 points. And so after round 2, uh, or in round 2, I got a total of 58 points, predicted 78% of those matchups correct here in the second round. Uh, add that to my points from last week, and that is 74 points total 
So there you go there. Now let's go on to Cody here in round two in one. He got three-fourths of the matchups correct. Uh, the only one he didn't predict was that Colorado Springs Christian upset. Other than that, he got everything else. So he got six points. That's 75% of those matchups correct in 1A. In 2A, only got 50% of the matchups correct. So that's four points here. I believe he picked a university to win as well as rifle and both of those were wrong and so you know tough but still got four points so 50 percent correct in 3a he went eight for eight here 100 percent perfect and correct so he got a total of 16 points so there you go there in 4a got six out of eight that's 75 percent of the matchups correct and so he got 12 points and then in 5A, went 8 for 8 as well. Uh, got all the matchups correct, predicting 5A perfectly in round 2. And so that is 16 points. 100% of those matchups were predicted correct. And so all together in round 2, tallied up a total of 54 points. Uh, predicted 84.4% of the matchups, 1 through 5A correct. And with those 54 points, actually scored... Uh, more this week than myself or Gideon here and in total he has 78 total points which is more than either myself or Gideon after this week so there you go Cody uh, on fire specifically in 3a and 5a here so there you go now let's go ahead and talk about Gideon here in 1a he got three of the four matchups correct here uh, I believe actually the one he got wrong was the Wiggins versus Ray one, if I'm not mistaken there. Uh, he picked Colorado Springs Christian to win in that upset. So there you go. So he had three of the four matchups correct there, 75%. It's not too bad. In 2A, he had three of the four once again. So that's 75%. I believe the only one you didn't get right, uh, which we all didn't get right, was the Rifle versus Montezuma-Cortez matchup. So there you go. That's another six points picked up there. In 3A, went six of eight here. Uh, got 12 points still, 75% correct. That's pretty solid. In 4A, went six of eight once again. Got another 12 points, 75% correct in uh, those 4A matchups. And then in 5A, almost was perfect, but went seven of eight here, 14 points. Um, still 87.5% of those predictions in 5A were correct, which is all that matters. And so after round two here, he got 50 points uh, this last weekend here. That's about 78% of his corrections were correct. Add on the points from last week, and that is 73 total points. So as it stands right now, Cody is, uh, well, he has the lead with 78 points. I'm right behind him with 74 points, and Gideon is right behind me with 73 points. So still very close here. As far as um, correct prediction percentage, uh, Cody had the highest this week with 84.4% of the matchups correct here. Actually, that's the highest uh, so far um, out of all of us between rounds one and two and so in round two he got a good majority of those predictions or a good majority of those game slash predictions correct so there you go that is the round two playoff prediction summary we gotta hold ourselves accountable you know how it is you know and there's no pride here we know when we're wrong and we're gonna adapt from that so there you go
Alright, let's get into round three of the playoffs and go through our predictions here. We'll start in 1A and then work our way up each classification here. But I'm going to go ahead and throw it to Gideon, who's going to explain his 1A playoff predictions. Next up, we're going to be going to the final four of 1A. So first, we're going to have number one Lyman versus number 13 Colorado Springs Christian. CSCS has been a very pleasant surprise this postseason. The Lions have been on fire with Nathaniel, the metric ton, Tunnison, helming the ship. They beat Yuma by one, as I thought, but now they have to deal with a completely different beast in the Lyman Badgers. Lyman has beaten all four opponents that they have shared with CSCS by at least 28, and that 28-0 win was over Yuma. CSCS lost to Monte Vista, who Lyman just beat, and it will be very interesting to see what Lyman does here. Trayton Marks is a great defender, and Gabe Schubarth is insane. Jace Velasquez and Tunnison's Lions will be a challenge for the Badgers, but I see Lyman winning 28-7. Next up, we have number 2 Strasburg versus number 6 Ray. Centauri uh, went into Strasburg and got whooped back to Lahara 37-0. Ray went into Wiggins and did what they do best, play good defense. They beat the Tigers 35-28 in a shootout, but they came up with critical stops at the right times. Ray is the team that has performed best against top opponents this season. Even in their losses, except the first one against Wiggins, Ray has performed better against common opponents than Strasburg. Zach Marrero is really good, but Tell Wade is a beast. Landon Martin is a good QB, but so is Casey Midcap. Sam Meisner isn't the same type of rusher that Marrero is, but DJ Cannon isn't Tell Wade. It's going to be close, but I'll take Ray, 31, Strasburg, 28. All right. Thank you, Gideon. Now, another playoff prediction I want to make sure to read off here is from our friend Anthony Garcia of Mile High Prep Report. Go ahead and check out his stuff. He does a great job, him and his crew, of covering small town sports here in Colorado in, you know, 1A, 2A, and he's going to do 3A as well, or where he's going to give his predictions. And so go ahead and check out uh, his website, Mile High Prep Report, and all of his great write-ups there. But he is going to agree with Gideon, and he has Lyman and Ray meeting in the state championship so there you go there now this is what cody had to say about the lyman versus colorado springs christian matchup he is predicting lyman to win he said i would love to be proven wrong by this lion squad again but lyman is like creek as in cherry creek where i just can't bet against them Botier has had two out of his three 100-plus yard uh, rushing yard games of the season in the playoffs and has popped off for seven touchdowns the past two weeks, giving the Badgers a whole new level of balance in the backfield as he asserts himself as the next in line of what is an Alabama-like running back stable year after year out east for Lyman. So Cody is going with Lyman over Colorado Springs christian there now in the other matchup strasburg versus ray cody said ray after flying dead bird to start the game the eagles on the road showed that they have been through the ringer this year and their battle testiness was not about to subside with all the trials that have faced ray this year both in and out of state this is a team 
that I think is very built for the playoffs and is burning for a shot at the Badgers in the chip. Would not be surprised if Strasburg won with the superior athletes they have on offense, but rolling with my OG Bracken move, Ray wins 24-23. to So there you go. Now, I'm going to go ahead and give my predictions for this one. Lyman versus Colorado Springs Christian. Hey, look, first off, shout out to the Colorado Springs Christian community. Always so accepting over there. Every game I go over there is a joy to be at. And uh, every game I've went so far this season, they have won against very, very tough opponents. And so a lot of respect for them. I love Jace Velasquez and what he's been doing. Just as a sophomore, he's going to continue to be dangerous going into next year and the year after that. Nate Tonneson, the metric ton, as Gideon has said, has been the closer when Colorado Springs Christian needed them. But I've seen Lyman play Monta Vista, a team that I felt like, you know, could potentially beat Lyman. You know, they got a lot of big guys up front, a lot of great athletes. I wouldn't have been surprised if Monta Vista played a closer game against Lyman. But regardless, this last week I was surprised because Lyman just looks extremely dominant. First off, those two defensive tackles are problems. You got to find a way to stop them because they're going to wreak havoc and get tackles in the backfield and get sacks and bring the pressure. You know, they're going to be a problem. On top of that, if you're trying to run it, you know, you got great linebackers, Lyman does, and Keon Bandy, Logan Botyer, Gabe Shoebarth, who fly to the football and play really well. Now, I guess relatively the weakest part of Lyman's team is maybe their secondary, but I only say that because they haven't really been tested by a team like Colorado Springs Christian who can air out the ball and has two very good athletes in Casey Oric and Taylor McLeod that can make big plays. And so we'll see what happens there. That's going to be a very interesting matchup, but Lyman just looks very powerful here. Uh, the run game is pretty much unstoppable. They could definitely pass it too if you need uh, if they need to, but they're going to run it first and they do a really good job. Really haven't seen any team slow them down yet. Uh, if anything, your best case scenario is trying to outscore them, which Colorado Springs Christian is equipped to do. But unfortunately, I'm going to have to go ahead and go against Lyman. I need Colorado Springs Christian to win just to prove me wrong one last time going into state because Lyman is that school. There's a reason they have 20 state championships. There's a reason they're one of the premier high school football programs, not just in 1A, but in all levels of football here in Colorado. They are extremely tough. And so... I just need Colorado Springs Christian to prove me one more time, and I'm okay with proving it. I love their squad. I think they're great, and I think they do a good job over there. But this Lyman team, they deserve their respect. They're looking to get back into the championship winning column, and to do that, they got to beat Colorado Springs Christian to make it to the chip first. So there you go. Um, unfortunately, I got to go with Lyman. Wouldn't be surprised if Colorado Springs Christian wins, especially at home, because I think that's where they're going to play. But they got to be perfect on every level. It can't just be a couple of guys making plays. Everyone has to make a play. So there you go. Now, Strasburg versus Ray. Everyone else has went with Ray here. I'm going with Strasburg. I think Strasburg made a statement beating Centauri, the defending state champions, by the way. 
37 to 0 or whatever it was Zach Marrero you know going crazy and not really having to you know not really having to expand the offense quite a bit when you could just hand it off to Zach and he's gonna go ahead and score a touchdown you know and so I think Strasburg could still open up their offense here and really be dangerous. I'm looking at Landon Martin here. If Strasburg needs to relieve some of that pressure up front and open up the running game, the passing game could do it. I saw Landon Martin do it against a very tough Wiggins squad who has a lot of great athletes to stop the pass, and he played well. I think if Strasburg wants to win and go to state, Everyone has to contribute here. That includes Landon in the passing game. Marrero has to continue to do his thing. Thomas Devlin, Caleb Hart. Everyone has to contribute here. And I think they could do it here. Ray, you know, they're a good squad. They showed a lot of grit coming back against Wiggins. But the way they went down definitely scares me just a little bit. I look at that and I'm like, okay. They had a really slow start. I don't think they could afford that against Strasburg. Strasburg, they're well coached. I don't think they would allow that here, especially with the backs they have and the experience they have in that championship DNA. They're hungry to go back to state. And so I'm going to be the black sheep here and I'm going with Strasburg to go to state. But it's going to be a battle. This should be a good one between Strasburg and Ray. I think really either one could go. All right, now let's go ahead and get into our 2A playoff predictions here. I'm going to go ahead and throw it back to Gideon to give his predictions. Now we move on to 2A. First, we're going to have number 2 Eaton versus number 11 Montezuma Cortez. First of all, I'm going to say sorry to the Montezuma Cortez Panthers. I have incorrectly predicted both of your playoff games so far, and if I get this one wrong too, then fine. But Eaton is Eaton. Morgan Trebet just committed to CSU, and Walker Martin is averaging 200 yards a game. However, Jake Blackmer is actually averaging more yards per contest than Walker, and Ryder Higgins is doing really well for himself defensively. They haven't played any common opponents, but looking at it, I think even with the 7.5 hour drive to Montezuma Cortez, Eaton will hold the edge. The Reds will score less than usual, but I believe they will still win about 28-3, even though I know that score is cursed. Next up, we have number 1 Delta versus number 4 The Classical Academy. TCA and Delsa should be one of the most fun matchups of the playoffs on all levels. Ethan Aragundi popped off against University, as did Josh Schneider and Aaron Johnson. TCA is well equipped to give this Delta team a hard time. Ty Reed went 1 for 1 on 66 yards against Alamosa, but Connor Workman took over and beat the Mean Moose. Gavin Brewer caught well, and between Clay Sandridge and Xavier Martinez, the Panthers had a field day. Rylan Bynum caught two interceptions, but TCA isn't a throw-heavy team. I see it being a, a slugfest and a shootout, so this one's going to be really hard to predict. I'll say that TCA takes it 42-38. Whoever has the ball last will win, and whichever team loses will go down swinging. Alright, thank you Gideon. Now Anthony Garcia of Mile High Prep Report predicted Eden to beat Montezuma Cortez as well, but he did pick Delta over TCA here, so there you go there. Now Cody here, he would say about the Eden versus Montezuma Cortez game, um, it has been the fun story of the playoffs, talking about Montezuma Cortez in two-way, but Eden is all business and will take care of it 
this weekend. So Cody has Eden beating Montezuma Cortez here as well. And so that's pretty much all of us. Uh, that's a whole sweep, four of us predicting Eden to go back to state at least. Now, in the Delta versus TCA game, this is what Cody had to say. He's going with Delta in only two playoff games. This secondary has forced six interceptions and will continue to be a force on this level of classification against a TCA passing attack that hasn't shown me much. Now, I think to beat these Panthers, you're going to have, uh, you're going to have a solid balanced game that TCA just won't be capable of against this insane defense and so he's going with Delta to go back to state here now I'm gonna give my predictions I think I already spoiled it I'm going with Eden against Montezuma Cortez here Eden they've been on a roll I thought this basalt game would be closer it was not that is really scary and so if Eden has to drive all the way down to Montezuma Cortez that is definitely going to be tiring, but I think they're going to treat it as a business trip and they're going to find a way to punch their way back into state. So there you go. Now, TCA versus Delta. Look, I could definitely be a homer. I graduated from TCA, so I <laughs> am a little conflicted. I love that they beat University. You know, I knew that would potentially be a trap game. TCA took care of business on the road. Love that. Now, it looks like TCA, at least according to the schedule as of right now, Monday at like 3.20 p.m., it looks like they're, they're going to have to go to Delta to go play them. I'm not as concerned about that trip for TCA, but here's the thing. This is a game that's going to be a battle all four quarters, and here's my mindset. If it comes down to it in the fourth quarter, you're down by less than a score, or if you score a touchdown, you could win can TCA put together a game-winning drive without throwing the football say with a minute 20 seconds left and a timeout or no timeouts honestly I don't know they would have to run the ball well they would have to get out of bounds and against a Delta team that is extremely fast here you know you got Tucker Johnson up in there you got Connor Workman you got a bunch of athletes that play you that will play you really well and will prevent you from getting out of bounds that is going to be difficult and honestly I'm just I haven't been sold on this TCA passing attack for like two years now three years now and this version of their passing attack is probably the worst one in the last couple years just because they don't really have that experience in my opinion and so I don't know if TCA will be able to do enough to put together a nice drive there without running the football which is a key part of their thing and so for TCA you just cannot allow this game to come down to you having to drive down on offense and score if anything you want to put this game in your defense's hands with that being said I'm, I'm gonna have to go with Delta here it's gonna be close because I trust Tyreed even though he's only a sophomore even though he missed most of the year even though this is his second only season as the starter I trust Tyree to find a way to drive down the field and score a game-winning touchdown if needed, whether he runs it or throws it. And I'll tell you what, Delta is a team that schemes really well. They disguise the runs and passes really well. And so TCA's defense is going to have a challenge, but at least they're not on offense, if anything. And so I'm going to go with Delta here. 
I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be so close that it could potentially come down to whoever wins the last two drives of this game. I'm going to be really specific here. But whoever wins the last two drives, whether it's the Delta offense or defense or the TCA offense or defense, will win this football game and will go to state. And honestly, I think both of these teams match really well with Eden if Eden makes it to state, that is. So there you go sorry tca it's nothing it's not hate because obviously i would love to see y'all go back to state and i'm definitely going to celebrate it um but i think delta is a very good team love a lot of the players on there and i think they're very well coached all right let's talk 3a playoff predictions here i'm actually going to switch it up and start with anthony garcia's 3A playoff picks here before I throw it to Gideon. But in the quarterfinals, he has Roosevelt over Evergreen. Then he has Green Mountain over Palisade. Lutheran over Frederick. And then finally, Durango over G-Dub George Washington. So there you go. Those are his playoff predictions. Like I said, make sure to go ahead and check out Mile High Prep Report. I'm sure he has his reasons on there and whatnot. And so you could read those up if you want. Uh, link in our bio. So... Uh, our bio slash link tree. So there you go. But Gideon, let's go ahead and hear some of your playoff predictions. Howdy, everybody. So now I'm going to be doing my playoff predictions, uh, starting with round two predictions. We're going to be going 3A here. Uh, number one, Roosevelt versus number nine, Evergreen. As expected, the Evergreen versus Thompson Valley game was pretty close, and the Roosevelt DCC game was very much not that. Uh, Tucker Peterson passed 50 career receiving touchdowns, and I am not sure that anybody that Evergreen has can match that firepower. Jack Johnson and Russ Woodward are really good defenders, and Tommy Poholsky is insane, but Xavier Ramirez will help balance the Roosevelt offense, and, in, and an extremely poised defense who is good at getting to opposing QBs is exactly what Roosevelt has. They have 29 sacks on the year. And they also have 15 interceptions. I mean, Evergreen is is good, and they have a good defense as well, but this one will be closer than one would think, maybe even a possession, but I'm going to give this to Roosevelt, 49, Evergreen, 42. Next up, number 13, Palisade versus number 5, Green Mountain. Palisade, you got me. Uh, Green Mountain did handily defeat Rez, but... Palisade beat Northridge 14-7. I should have given that Roosevelt game more credit. Palisade is kind of reminding me of CSTS right now, and I will ride that wave. I'll say that this is going to be a one or two score game. Palisade only lost to Durango 7-0, so their defense can grind it out against elite teams. I'll pick Green Mountain here due to their momentum and balanced offense through Zach Wallace. They're six 200 plus yard walk rushers and they're 11 20 plus tackle guys but if palisade keeps playing like they have and Rhett ward malachi espinoza Paulin salvati and tyler hinton pop off this one's going to be close green mountain 21 palisade 18. next number three lutheran versus number 11 frederick i did predict frederick beating summit but i was wrong in saying that it was going to be close i mean damn I will maintain Lutheran winning this, but it's going to be much closer than my original prediction. Lutheran 29, Frederick 28, and overtime. Number 2, Durango versus number 10, George Washington. 
With Chassa hosting rules, I do believe that George Washington will be hosting this matchup, which means that Durango will have to make the six-hour drive to Denver. It isn't the worst thing in the world, and this is a team that I believe will be ready for the trip, but it's a factor to consider. Also, Celis Honeycutt Jr. balled out against Holy Family, and the rest of the team performed well as well. I saw what may be a pass of the year candidate by Gabe Smith, and I think the Patriots will carry this momentum forward. It's a game I can see going either way, but I'll pick Durango. They have to travel all over the place already to play, and despite the pieces for George Washington going off, I think Durango is well-balanced enough to keep it going. I'll say Durango 35, George Washington 31. All right. Thank you, Gideon, for your 3A playoff predictions. Let me go ahead and talk about Cody's playoff predictions, starting with Roosevelt versus Evergreen. Cody says Roosevelt, and then in all caps, he typed, Tucker Peterson is the all-time receiving touchdown leader, and I am so hyped for him. Uh, And then back to normal caps. But in Roosevelt news, no one is satisfied. The vibe with Roosevelt since the beginning, or even before the season, is that they won't be satisfied until they have their chip. And Evergreen has not cleared the hump of top teams the way I'd like. 26-23 Roosevelt is what Cody says. Now Palisade versus Green Mountain. Uh, Cody's going with Green Mountain here. He says the Rams just feel like the more optimized version of Palisade. The Rams have not lost yet this season. And I really don't think it starts now. He has them winning 34-20. to Now Lutheran versus Frederick. Cody's going with Lutheran. He said the Lions bounced Pueblo East in basically the same fashion that they did earlier this year and despite Lou High being on the road for this matchup the way that anyone on this team can pop off at any given moment makes me think Frederick will not be able to control the pace of the game he has this one going 35 26 in favor of Lou High now Durango versus G-Dub George Washington Cody's going with Durango he said the rest balance and health of this demons team makes this season very different Durango has got to be hyped to see the capital of the state and will make a great memory of this upcoming weekend. 34-28 Durango here. I think that was him assuming that Durango would come up and play George Washington. Um, But as of right now, like I said, it's Monday, November 14th, about 3.38pm here. It kind of looks like Durango might be playing at or uh, sorry, Durango will be playing at home, or at least that's the order it has in as George Washington at Durango, but at a neutral site. We'll see what happens there. Um, regardless, though, he is going with Durango. Okay, let's start with my playoff predictions then. Uh, starting, let's go in reverse here. Durango versus George Washington. Oh my god, as much as I want to pick George Washington to get the upset, I like the program, I like the playmakers they have there, Silas Evans, Marcellus Honeycutt, Jirai Vaughn, a lot of love for that program, I got a lot of love for Durango as well, this is a team that has been looking to make it back to state here since they won it with Jordan Wolverton and those boys back in the COVID year. This team looks really good, I'm going to be honest with you, and so this is going to be a very good matchup. Now, whether it's played in Durango or George Washington, I think might actually matters. If it's played up in Denver, I think G-Dub definitely has more of an edge. Now, if G-Dub has to travel all the way down to Durango, 
I don't think they've ever traveled that far. I think Durango wins a little bit more easier. Um, but regardless, I think I'm going to have to go with Durango here. I mean, they're the favorites. They have a strong defense on offense. They are extremely balanced. They've played some very good teams and whooped on some very good teams here in Colorado and in New Mexico, by the way. So you got to keep that in mind, that out-of-state experience. And so I really like Durango in this one, but would not be surprised if George Washington gets the upset. That's how good they are. I think these two teams are very evenly matched. The difference is that Durango has a little bit more experience traveling and playing in some of these high-pressured situations. Now, Luthen versus Frederick. Luthen will have to go up to Frederick to play them, but I am going to go with Luthen beating Frederick here. This is going to be a tough game. Luthen cannot have an off game. I'm just going to be honest with you. You know, so the passing game has to be sharper. I know Reichendogger kind of had some struggles last weekend here, but that was his first playoff game. I'm going I'm, I'm to give him a pass, to be honest. But going into this game, as you get deeper into the playoffs, teams only get better. And that's because partially because they're battle-hardened here. Lutheran has to take this thing seriously. They can't start, you know, lazy or slow or anything like that. They gotta make Frederick catch up to them. And so if Lutheran makes this a shootout, which they definitely have the ability to do, I think they win. This is the same Lutheran team, by the way, that played for a Montrose very, very close. And Montrose, they're in the third round of the playoffs now. And, you know, I think with that experience, they take that against Frederick. And they already got the formula to win. They just got to apply it and then do it. So there you go. Now, Palisade versus Green Mountain here. Palisade is a, honestly a very underrated team. I really wouldn't be surprised if they made a run at state here. But I'm going to go ahead and lean on Green Mountain here. Green Mountain, out of all the teams in the playoffs, not just Palisade, but out of all 16 teams that made the playoffs, that's the team with the most experience. That's the team that returned the most starters this year. Um, pretty much all of them. You know, and they've looked very strong, especially against a good res team to start the playoffs. And I don't think that changes here. I think Green Mountain keeps it going with all the experience they have here. They should be making a deep run. So that's why I'm also picking them. So there you go. Now, Roosevelt versus Evergreen. First off, once again, congrats. Tucker Peterson, my guy. Hardworking dude. Definitely a next level athlete, uh, whether it's football, track, or whatever, to be honest. But against Evergreen here... I think Evergreen, they're going to pose some problems here. They got Russ Woodward. He's going to go to work. Tommy Poholsky, I mean, he really has nothing to lose here. He's going to go to work as well. Uh, Gabe Zimmerer, they're going to go to work. You know, Kyle uh, Solowitz, I want to say, the big, the big safety over there for Evergreen. They're going to do their thing. But Roosevelt, in my opinion, has better coaches. Um, arguably, they have one of the best coaches in the entire state. But I think the difference between the Roosevelt coach and the Evergreen coach is going to matter in this game. And so that's why I'm going to go ahead and take Roosevelt to win here. This should be a good one here as far as talent stacking up against talent. But I think I'm going to go with Roosevelt, who's a little bit deeper, I think, and is just better coached uh, at the end of the day. So there you go. Um, like I said, wouldn't be mad if I'm wrong either, though. Uh, met some of those evergreen guys, and I have a lot of respect for them, and I wouldn't be surprised if they found a way to get it done. But at this point in the playoffs, it's show me, not tell me. So, there you go. 
All right, let's talk about 4A, 4A playoff predictions. Going to switch it up a bit here, and I'm going to go ahead and lead with my predictions here, starting with Broomfield versus Heritage. Uh, look, Heritage, they're a tough team. Proved it against Mesa Ridge. I think this is truly a game where Heritage could come into Broomfield and upset them. I wouldn't even be surprised. I'm going to give the edge to Broomfield here and this is my reason why first off Cola Crew just committed to Wisconsin my guy congrats on that if it comes down to one drive where Broomfield needs to put Heritage away or they need to beat them uh, and get a score here I trust Cola Crew and company to have that one drive and score and put them away now with Heritage here they've come a long way defense has played excellent and they're still a relatively young team but i don't quite think this is their year i think next year they will be serious contenders this year they're kind of a wild card team here i don't know if i could trust the offense specifically to find a way to drive down on this broomfield team and score because first off this broomfield defense is elite they're one of the best in the entire state at least top three in 4a so you got to find a way against that as well. On top of that, you're a little inexperienced here. It's been a while since Heritage has been this far. So a lot of these guys are experiencing it for the first time. It's not out of the question that they could do it. But for now, I'm going to go with the experience. And I'm going to go with the guy here at quarterback, Cola Crew and Broomfield to find a way to get it done. So there you go. Now, Ponderosa versus Erie here. I uh, didn't think Erie would get this far here, but they did, and they did it in convincing fashion, defeating Denver South by a lot. They got to be feeling themselves, got to be feeling confident. They've been here before, so I'm going to actually go ahead and go with Erie here. That's one of the biggest reasons why. On top of that, with Ponderosa, is Zach Stryker healthy? Is Max Mervin still at quarterback? There's there's a lot of questions there for the offense. Here's what I do know though: the Ponderosa defense will come to play, but they cannot do it alone. This Ponderosa offense will have to perform against an eerie defense that has talent there, and they're going to be hungry to prove uh, a lot of haters wrong after losing to Pondo in the first game of the season, and so they're going to be motivated here. Now Ponderosa on offense, are you going to be able to play a clean game? You know, uh, love Max Mervin. I think he's going to do a great job uh, or he's doing a great job at quarterback so far here. But it definitely helps to have as many weapons as possible, you know, to kind of spread out this eerie team and have Zach Stryker out there who could throw it to guys like Mervin, Liam Edwards, Carson Keach, all of those guys. But like I said, I just don't know how healthy this Ponderosa offense is. And so uh, with that, I'm, I'm going to have to go with Erie. This should be a great playoff game, though. I expect it to be an instant classic. Wouldn't be surprised if either team moves on. So there you go. Um, moving on to Loveland versus Montrose. I'm going with Loveland. I don't know. I want to say I picked Montrose in my original playoff predictions here. But after what happened with Golden, of course, they still came back and won. Uh, I feel a little bit shaky, though, because this Loveland team, in my opinion, is better coached than Golden. They're not going to blow a lead like that. That's just facts. You know, on top of that, uh, I think they played a tougher opponent in Dakota Ridge than Montrose did in Golden. And so I kind of think 
Loveland here. Their defense is going to continue to step up. I mean, against a team that loves to run the ball, I think that is what Loveland loves. Uh, they're going to love playing a team that runs the ball versus a team that, you know, has a little bit more to them. I would say schematically and play call-wise. So, there you go. Uh, still will be a hard-hitting game. We'll see what happens, but I'm going to trust Loveland on this one. And then finally, we got Palmer Ridge versus Vista Ridge here. Uh, hey, look, first off, Vista Ridge, you could chill out a little bit. I was wrong, and I admit it. You know, I still respect y'all and whatnot as a program and as players. But look, I was wrong against Fruit of Monument. But I am going to acknowledge Fruit of Monument. They haven't looked that bad in a really long time, uh, except against Erie, which, you know, is probably something I'm going to go ahead and talk about on the season preview next year. That's months from now, though. Right now, we're in the present. Vista Ridge, they won big. They're moving on to play Palmer Ridge. They played this team a couple weeks ago. I wouldn't even say a month ago. They played this team a couple weeks ago. Uh, but even then, before that, they were really, really familiar with Palmer Ridge. You know what they got and all that stuff. I tried to convince myself, but honestly, I just need to see it. After seeing that Palmer Ridge versus Vista Ridge game, um, which, by the way, Vista Ridge held at home. I, I don't know if that made me more confident about Vista Ridge or not, you know, and so we'll see. I don't think it actually matters where they play, whether it's Palmer Ridge or Vista Ridge. They're close enough where it doesn't matter to me. And so in this one, I think I'm going to have to go with Palmer Ridge here. Uh, look, Braden, Dorman and company, they're going to have to find a different way to go about it. You know, all those big plays and stuff you got against Fruit of Monument, you're just not going to get against Palmer Ridge. Their corners are too disciplined. On top of that, they got two really good safeties who aren't going to allow that. Two tall safeties, by the way. And so if you get into the end zone, this was kind of something I saw here. Vista Ridge, they got to find better ways to work in the red zone here. It's the playoffs. You simply cannot afford to not score if you get into the red zone. That's it. I think that's what it will come down to because I don't think Vista Ridge had too many problems driving up and down the field here. Uh, it wasn't like they had splash plays and they were just getting lucky. Like, no, they were putting together pretty good drives the first time they played. But when it came down to the red zone, there were definitely some issues and it didn't get easier as the game went on. Uh, on top of that, Palmer Ridge has some great linebackers too who fly to the football. And so this is a very tough defense that you're going to have to face the Vista Ridge offense has to beat them. I don't know if they can or not uh, when it comes down to it. I know they have the talent to, but when it comes down to it, can they find a way to get it done? We'll see. For now, I'm going to go with my gut and I'm going to go with Palmer Ridge, but I, would, I definitely wouldn't be surprised or mad if Vista Ridge wins here. But they will definitely have to approach some things differently here. Now for Palmer Ridge, I think for the most part, defensively, whatever you did last time, it worked. Stick with it. Make the adjustments you need as you go on. But I think that's a good base to start with. On offense, though, I, I would like to see the passing game complement the running game a little bit more here. Um, but I know this Vista Ridge defense does kind of pair up well with... Uh, with this Palmer Ridge offense. And so we'll see. 
you know, we'll see what happens. I think this is going to be a great game. Myself and Gideon will be here. If Cody didn't have to work, he would be uh, down here for this game. And so all eyes are on this one, honestly, for this weekend. And then the rest will uh, get updates from when we can. But we'll be at this game for sure here. And this should be a good one. All right, I'm going to go ahead and pass it off to Gideon here. He's going to talk about his 4A playoff predictions. Now for 4A, we'll move on to the Elite Eight. First up, we'll have number one Palmer Ridge versus number eight Vista Ridge. Palmer Ridge absolutely decimated Skyline, and Vista Ridge exploded to beat Fruita Monument. These two played to close the regular season, where Palmer Ridge prevailed by a score of 24 to 17. I don't see that happening again, one way or another. Vista is likely still salty about that loss, and Palmer Ridge is a team that can make those adjustments, but in my mind, it's a 50-50 game. I think whoever has the ball last will win, and I think Vista Ridge may have it last and will win 35-28. to Now, number two, Broomfield versus number seven, Heritage. Broomfield dominated Windsor, and Heritage scraped out a win over Mesa Ridge 21-10. to Broomfield did beat Heritage earlier in the season, but only by four. Broomfield, I see winning this by about the same margin as earlier this year, probably 21 to 17. Next up, we have number four, Loveland versus number five, Montrose. Loveland beat Dakota Ridge pretty well, and the Montrose game... Okay, listen, Montrose, you won and earned it. You came back, but don't be surprised if something happens with Golden filing a complaint with that onside's kick at the end. I've seen that clip and it did not pass 10 yards before a Montrose player touched it. Golden was really, really close to beating Montrose, and with that type of win, with the controversy surrounding it, that's going to have a lot of stress. This will be a stressful week for Montrose, and not so for Loveland. Loveland 28, Montrose 17. Now for number 3, Ponderosa, versus number 11, Erie. Erie came in and absolutely shocked Denver South, 35-10, where the Tigers posted a shutout in the second half. Stats haven't been posted as of recording this, but I'm willing to bet that it was Blake Barnett and Derek Hall that did a lot of the work. However, the Tigers now have to deal with the Mustangs, Zach Stryker and Kate Olson. These two met at the beginning of the season, where Ponderosa came out on top, 39-27. I see two scenarios here. The first is more likely where Ponderosa powers forward and repeats history 42-28. The other is the world that I will go with, which is, which is that Erie learns from their mistakes at the beginning of the season and carry forward from the momentum of beating the Ravens in a blowout. I'll take Erie to make the Final Four with a score of 35-31. to All right, thank you, Gideon. Let's go ahead and talk about Cody's picks here, starting with Palmer Ridge versus Vista Ridge. He is going with Palmer Ridge. He says Derek Hester's performances lately haven't been everything I would want them to be. But Gator Robinson has been stellar. And Hester is due for a great passing game after the past few weeks being in a slump. The Wolves were dominant in their win against Fruta. But being on the road is going to be tough 20-14. to 14. Uh, so there you go there. Now Loveland versus Montrose. Cody's going with Loveland. He says the Red Hawks of Montrose needed faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. Pause for a dub. And I'm just not convinced that kind of luck will be on their side this week. 
Plus, they won't be on their home turf, and the Red Wolves are a legitimate contender, more so in my eyes. He has Loveland winning 26-16. Now, Pondo versus Erie. Cody is going with Erie here. The Tigers are catching fire at just the right time. Pondo did take care of business in the first go-round, but Erie will be hosting this. And with Pondo having somewhat common slow starts that may just put them in the worst spot against an Erie squad who has been running track meets to start games for the past month. Still though, pretty close game here. He has Erie winning 36-30. to Now finally, Broomfield versus Heritage. Cody said Broomfield, he's going with Broomfield. Heritage is going to come into this hungrier than every but... Wait, what? Than every... That doesn't make sense. But the game being in Broomfield goes a long way for me. He has Broomfield winning 29-18. Alright, I don't know what was going on there. But regardless, Broomfield wins 29-18. That is Cody's predictions there for 4A. Alright, now in 5A. Let's go ahead and start with Cody's predictions here. Starting with Cherry Creek versus Thunder Ridge. And this is what he has to say. He is going with Cherry Creek. He said, it's one of those squads that I can't bet against. Very excited for a potential recurring playoff matchup with two programs whose quarterback position is set for the next cycle. He's talking about Brady Vodka, the freshman, and DJ Bordeaux, the freshman, for both teams. Uh, but regardless, he still has Cherry Creek winning 28-20 to in this one. Now, Valor Christian versus Regis Jesuit. This is what Cody had to say. He's going with Valor. He said, the Valor team that lost to Regis is a distant memory that has taken a backseat to a more dominant defense and a more balanced offense that will force the Regis defense to be more on their toes than before. He has Valor Christian winning 28-17. By the way, Cody was at that first Valor Christian versus Regis Jesuit game, so I, I would think he knows what he's talking about, so just going with that. Now, Grandview versus Pine Creek. Uh, Cody is going with Grandview. He said, despite the news of Zarka's status, I have seen this Grandview team lean on the run and trust this coaching staff to adapt with a deep backfield, a strong defensive line, and a strong defense who has contained some good backs this year. This might be one of the lower scoring games of the week, though. He has Grandview winning 10-7. to Jeez, that is really low scoring there. Alright, now Ralston Valley versus Columbine. This is what Cody had to say. He is going with Ralston Valley. Keeping my gut with the team that has great balance on offense and was in control of their game. The Rebels do have the fire of losing to Ralston earlier this season. And Columbine is always dangerous. But I like my original pick and score. He has Ralston Valley winning 19-16. to Alright, now I'm going to go ahead and talk about my playoff predictions here in 5A. Uh, first off, starting with this Ralston Valley versus Columbine game, I'm going with Columbine here. Look, I don't think Columbine is going to lose to Ralston Valley again. I'm going to assume that they are healthy up front. I've heard reports that they might not be healthy. They are healthy. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to go with that they're healthy here. And I have them beating Ralston Valley, sticking to the basics, not fumbling the football, you know, not having a slow start or anything because they can't afford it against a team like Ralston Valley here. I have Columbine doing all the right things and winning here. Um, still will be a close one. Ralston Valley won't go down without swinging. Now, Grandview versus Pine Creek. I'm going to go with Pine Creek here. I went with them already. Before I heard about the Grandview news with Zarka, 
We'll see if Liam Zarka plays. I think obviously that's a better chance for Grandview to win here. But I'm going to go with Pine Creek here. I mean, look, this Pine Creek defense is not the Rocky Mountain defense. If you turn it over, they're going to try to score off of it. That's just how it's going to go. You know, and so if you're Grandview, you got to play a cleaner game and you got to kind of wake up a little bit here. So there you go. Uh, regardless, though, I'm going with Pine Creek. I know they do have to travel up, but I trust them to find a way to get it done. Uh, next, Valor Christian versus Regis Jesuit. Um, I agree with Cody. I don't think this Valor team is the same team from the beginning of the year. I saw Valor play against Thunder Ridge, and they did a very good job against a top-tier defense here. I don't think Valor Christian's going to look as unorganized as, the, as they did at the beginning of the year. And this will look like a whole new game, um, at least if you were somebody who saw the first one. So, there you go. It's going to be close. I'm not going to lie. It's going to be close. This is a hump that Regis Jesuit has not quite been able to get over for a while now. And so if they do, it's going to be a big deal. It's going to be a big deal. And I'm going to be happy for them. But they got to find a way to get it done first. And so for now, I'm going to go with Valor Christian and those cats over there. Now, Cherry Creek versus Thunder Ridge. I will be at this game on Saturday is at least what it says. Uh, when it says it's going to be here. Um, I'll be there. You know, I'll be at this game to watch this one. Look, first off, shout out to DJ Bordeaux and Brady Vodica. They have been rocking with the podcast for years now. Like, we've literally covered them since they were in the seventh grade. Um, a year ago, we literally covered them in the AYL playoffs. They were playing middle school uh, playoff games. Now they're playing varsity playoff games against each other. I don't think the story gets sweeter here. I'm going to have to go with Cherry Creek, though. You know, this is the team that is your defending state champs, not just from last year, but from for two years now. You know, looking for a third. This defensive line is tough, you know. They got all D1 guys, and so this Thunder Ridge offensive line is going to have to play their best game. DJ, he's going to have to play his best game and whatnot. But even then, I mean, this Cherry Creek team has a lot of firepower on both sides. I'm going to go with Creek, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's a closer one. And maybe Thunder Ridge is able to sneak this one. But I guarantee you Cherry Creek is not going to underestimate Thunder Ridge. And obviously neither will Thunder Ridge with Creek. So there you go. Those are all of my playoff predictions. I'm going to go ahead and swing it to Gideon here to give the last of his 5A playoff predictions. Now for the 5A Elite Eight. Starting off with number one, Cherry Creek versus number nine, Thunder Ridge. DJ Bordeaux has done an amazing job as Thunder Ridge's quarterback. And Cherry Creek also has a freshman quarterback in Brady Vodka. And we'll see how this battle goes. Cherry Creek's entire defensive line is Division I, so it'll be interesting to see how Bordeaux does against that type of challenge. It'll be close, but I see Creek taking it 42-31. to 31. Now for number 4, Grandview versus number 5, Pine Creek. If Liam Zarko were healthy, I would take Grandview, but he went out at the half against Rocky Mountain with a fractured finger. Though Rocky Mountain is out of the tournament, they may succeed in busting a few brackets. Pine Creek barely won over Legacy, though, but a large part of that was their secondary. Mason Miller caught two interceptions, and Justice Nicholson caught one of his own, in an absolute grit win for Pine Creek. If they play as well as they did in the fourth quarter against Legacy, I see the Eagles winning 28-21 over Grandview. 
Now for number two, Valor Christian, versus number seven, Regis Jesuit. One of two games that Valor has lost this season was to Regis to open the season. The only other team they've lost to was a team from Arizona, and they are trending up. Regis did beat Fossil pretty handily, but I don't see the Raiders getting past Valor. The Eagles have been on a tear, and Regis is doing alright, especially against the competition they faced, but they haven't done as well in recent weeks for me to be confident in picking them over Valor. Valor 35, Regis 14. Now for number 3, Ralston Valley versus number 6, Columbine. Columbine came from behind and won over Rock Canyon in what is a grit win for them. The Rebels fought and they fought hard. However, there is a huge difference between the Rock Canyon Jaguars and the Ralston Valley Mustangs. Ralston Valley did give Columbine their only loss of the season, 16-13 sorry, last month. But aside from that, it depends. It goes one of two ways. Either Columbine's front seven are starting to wear down and get hurt, like they were against Ralston Valley last time, and they narrowly lose again 21-17. Or Josh Snyder and Marcane Taylor help the team learn from last month's mistakes and pass Benalo's Mustangs 35-28. Either way, it'll be close, and this game has a lot of variables involved. I'll take a healthy Columbine team, but if Columbine is even a little bit hurt, I'm taking Ralston. All right, boom, there you go. That is basically the episode here. Thank you so much for rocking with us. If you want to show some love uh, on social media, you can find us at Playmakers Corner on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. On TikTok, we'll be posting highlights of all the games that we go to and whatnot in person. And so if you want to see, you know, some of the highlights that we be talking about on these recap episodes, you can go ahead and look there. They'll be posted there. They're also going to be posted on YouTube as well. That's at Playmakers Corner. Uh, we post them as shorts there as well. And uh, hey, be on the lookout for for a polls. Those close or sorry, those open Friday, and then they will close on Tuesday morning. Same with 5A. Uh, not this week, but the following week. There's some great candidates to vote for. We want to make sure we recognize everyone and all of that great stuff. So, uh, yeah. But thank you so much for rocking with us. To all the playoff teams still in it, hey, pressure is a privilege. Win or go home that's what it is we're rooting for everyone here uh, to have some great games and we look forward to see who's going to be at the state championship for 1a and 2a and then who's going to compete for a chance to go to state on 3a 4a 5a but uh yeah we will see y'all later